This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. everybody to wrestling omakase it is episode number 108 and this week i'm very pleased to be joined by returning guest taylor hi how's it going (laughs) it's going good i feel like i haven't been on here in forever even though it's only been two months or something has it really been that long even didn't the last one we do was the traveling yeah one so that was yeah right after we got back yeah so but here we are again. I'm uh, back. Yeah. Uh, just when <laughs> just when you thought you were out. <laughs> I don't even think that's how that quote goes. But we're here this week to talk about a lot of promotions in Japan, none of them being New Japan, which is a fun change of pace because I feel like we've talked about New Japan like five weeks in a row, uh, mostly because, you know, it's G1 time and... It was a really good G1, so we covered all that. But this week, we finally have a different batch of promotions here. Um, You know, we're going to talk about Dragon Gate. for like This might be the first time I've ever talked about Dragon Gate on this show. (laughs) If not, it's been a long fucking time. Um, Because, you know, when I first started hosting this, I was still hosting Open the Voice Gate, of course, which is still a podcast on this network. Mike does a great job with it, but... I haven't been co-host on it. So we didn't we never talked about Dragon Gate and Omakase early on because, you know, you know, it was on Open the Voice Gate. And then last year I just kind of fell out of watching it. Um so this Dangerous Gate, the first, this is the first show I've watched other than the show we were the two of us were at, like as far as like f- the entire show. Like I've seen matches here or there, but um it's the first show of the year I've watched for the entire show. You, I know, you keep up with Dragon Gate a lot more closely than I have this year. I do. I've watched it um, less than I probably did last year as I've sort of cut out the smaller house shows. Um, and I sort of stick to the Corkins. Um, any bigger, I guess, bigger, small shows, if that makes sense. And then, of course, the big, um, the big shows they do, I watch all of those. So I'm pretty up. I found that those house shows are mainly just matches. So there isn't really, um, you know, you might miss a few good matches, but you're not missing much storyline. 
uh, movement there. And, you know, I watch a lot of other things. So unfortunately, those small shows fell by the wayside. Yeah, last year, I just didn't, I wasn't that into it. And then I feel like I kept meeting to get back on the saddle. But like, everybody talking shit about DG Net, like, delayed it, basically. But, you know, I, I found the service pretty good as long as I guess you watch everything in a week. Because Dangerous Gate, the stream quality looked good. Uh, it, it was play, it played fine on my Fire Stick in the in the default browser, so no complaints there. Uh, it's a little expensive, I guess, is the other problem. But yeah, it's pretty pricey. Um, but the actual streaming of it, not having to do with you know the delay of having to watch everything in a week, which is still annoying. Um, but I've sort of gotten used to it. But I think the streaming also has gotten a little bit better. I remember when I first got it, because I think I got it right when it launched. Um, I remember I had some buffering issues where about every 30 minutes, I would just have to start the video. I would have to refresh the video and it would keep playing. But it was uh, very strange. But that problem seems to have gone away. And I haven't really had any buffering or any issues like that in quite a while. Um, does, at does, least a, at least a few months, if not more. Those DG Nico videos back when I used to buy them, they used to buffer on my computer really badly, and I, I to the point where I gave up and just started like downloading them. But um, as far as the actual show itself, that'll be the first show we talk about. It's not the only thing we're going to talk about though, because we're also going to talk about the uh, Tokyo Joshi and DDT Corkins from today. Uh, which are two promotions we always like to talk about. And we're going to talk about some stardom, too. We're going to talk about the first two nights of the five-star Grand Prix, which, um, you know, stardom's equivalent of the G1, basically. So that'll probably be the order. Start with Dragon Gate, then do Tokyo Joshi, DDT, and stardom. Um, we also have a bunch of listener questions. So let's dive right in, starting off with the Dragon Gate show from yesterday, August 24th at the Oda City General Gymnasium in Tokyo, uh, Dangerous Gate 2019. They do this every year, uh, the Oda, Oda uh, show. I, as far back, probably, as, like, God. Maybe as far as long as Dragon Gate's been around, I feel like. I don't know. I should have looked this up first because now I'm curious. Um, but, yeah, they, this has been an annual tradition for a long time. Um, as far as the attendance went, they announced 3394, which... I believe is if it's not a sell, it's really really close. And it's up from last year. Last year was thirty one something, thirty one ninety seven or something yeah, like 31, that. Thirty one seventy seven. Yep. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So they did to answer my own question. Looking at Cage Match, it looks like the first Oda Award show was Glorious Gate two thousand six, which was the show where Susumu beat Ryu Saito for the Dreamgate title, um, and then there was. Looks like the it started as an annual thing in 2014, unless it's one of these things where Cage Match just isn't picking up <laughs> the 2013 <laughs> version, which is possible. But yeah, so that's uh, it's been around a while. But either way, um, as far as this show goes, um, oh, we'll talk. I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I haven't asked you about it before the uh, before we started recording. I didn't really care for this show that much. I thought it was like okay. It's not a show that like really made me be like, wow, I have to pay attention to Dragon Gate every show again because it really there's really only one match of the show that I would call like really great. Um, which on an eight match show that's like supposed to be bigger than a Corican, I wouldn't really call that a good number, especially compared to what some other companies have done this year. Um, 
I mean, I will be fair and say I've heard other people say the show wasn't the best example of Dragon Gate this year. Uh, I still need to go back and watch Kobe World, which I have heard really good things about. So I'm probably going to do that at some point. But yeah, I don't know. This show, and we'll go match by match, but this show didn't really do it for me. I thought the show was mostly fine. There was nothing I didn't like, uh, but there wasn't a lot of high-end stuff for me uh, personally. You mentioned Kobe World. I think Kobe World would – I don't think anyone would disagree with me that Kobe World blows this show out of the water. Um, that was an excellent show. This it was just fine, but I found myself mainly, you know, the matches sort of ended, and I was like, okay, you know, yeah. move on to the next match, and that was that. So, so I think I w- I would agree with you. I might have been maybe slightly less down on it than you, but um, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it was a bad show. Like, it's not a show where I regret watching it, but like, it it's wasn't up to a standard that I would expect for like a big show, I guess. Like if this was a Corican, I think it would have been a perfectly fine Corican, but like for a big show, it just felt like it definitely felt like one of the lesser ones to me. Um, okay. So it opened up with a pretty typical Dragon Gate style opening match. A uh, bunch of guys that have nothing to do. Brother Yashi punched Tomonaga, um, Mondai Ryu, Martin Kirby and Hiroshi Yamato def- are losing to Kagetora Yosuke Santa Maria, Satyoko Boy, Dragon Dia, and Jimmy. Uh, Maria pinning Punz Tomonaga in 7.15 at the Nurarachi. Um, first of all, is, is someone, again, who is picking this up, uh, again, as a longtime Dragon Gate fan, the idea they just have a guy named Jimmy now is really funny. But that's, he's, a, he's a luchador, right? Yeah, he comes from DTU in Mexico, where he was part of a group called the Nerds, where their character was, they were all nerds. Um, pretty self-explanatory but i think that that i think they're done i'm almost certain that they're done with that and so now he's just a guy who is called jimmy yeah so it's kind of funny because obviously the jimmy's the jimmy's in dragon gate were like kind of nerds that was kind of their thing so um this was not a very good opener though um i just didn't think it was you know i mean a lot of these dragon gate openers can be kind of all over the place and not that great and this was definitely one of them uh, there was the, the big, the spot that really stands out in my mind is more than anything is, uh, so Hiroshi Yamato, he, he's doing a spot where basically everyone on Yamato's team was doing this running X, which he's a movie does, uh, you know, if you never see, he just puts his hands up like an X and runs into the corner and hits the other, and hits the guy. Um, somehow after watching three straight guys before him do the running X, poor Punch Tomonaga still forgot what he was doing and didn't throw up the running X until he was basically already in the corner making contact with uh, whoever the fuck they were doing it to. So that was the spot that really stood out in my mind because boy is punch Tomonaga not improved apparently. Uh, other than that, I don't really have a ton of thoughts on this. It wasn't very good. Uh, I don't either. I, I have liked Jimmy in Dragon Gate. We just talked about him. I think he's been very good. Um, and, you know, with some of these people coming in, you sort of never know because some of them are sort of under the radar. And I'm sure I had seen Jimmy once or twice, I think, on DTU shows. But I didn't really know that much about him. But I think he was good at that show. At the Corkin we went to, John, I thought he was I thought he was good. Um, but other than that, I don't really have very many 
that's that's about my only thought about the match. Uh, match number two was Ryu Saito, Super, uh, Super Shiza, Kaness, and Kanichiro Rai defeating uh, the red team of Diamante, Yasushi Kanda, Takashi Yoshida, and Kazuo Sakamoto uh, with a disqualification because Yoshida removed Shiza's mask. Uh, this I liked a lot more than the opener. Um, you know, the red team, I thought they would I always like scumbag heels and Dragon Gate. Kazuma Sakamoto was like born to be a scummy Dragon <laughs> Gate heel. I mean, like this man finally found his calling in life, basically, when he uh, joined Red. But, but yeah, I thought he was great here. Um, you know, Yoshida, the former CyberCon, was great, and he, you know, they they like basically he had already started like loosening Shiza's mask. So the finish was basically he pulls off Shiza's mask when Shiza has. One of them, I don't even know who, set up for the, um, you know, for the Yoshi tonic that he does, that flipping pile driver. So he has his legs wrapped around this guy, and he's, like, facing away from him. And Kong just, like, grabs the mask out of midair, pulls the mask right off, and then spits mist right in his face, and that's the DQ. I thought that was just an awesome finish. I mean, you know, it's a DQ finish, but it was a really, really creative DQ finish. But, yeah, I, I like this a lot for a seven-minute match. I like that a mask being pulled off ended in a DQ because I feel like nowadays a lot of times masks come off in matches and it just happens the ref isn't looking and the person lays there and they get the mask and they put it back on and the match continues. So I was sort of happy to see, you know, it's the way the match is supposed to end when a mask gets pulled off, but I feel like it so rarely happens nowadays. Are you sure to give it for that and not for the mist stuff? Well, I guess you're right. It could be it could be for either one. But I feel like the mist comes in all the time and they're like, Oh, you missed, you know. <laughs> it seems something even if the ref doesn't see the mist, they might look at someone's face and go, Wait a minute. What is this on your face? And try and get you know yeah. now we're getting into the weeds here on, on this. But um I've really liked I know it's been a little while. Um, having Shisa back and um, Kenichiro, I've liked that they come back. It gives a little variety to the bottom of the card. And I feel like it's what Dragon Gate was going for last year when they decided they needed people. Now they brought in um, Hiroshi Yamato and Kai, who have been fine, but I felt like when they first came in, they were strange fits for the company. And, you know, Yamato still sort of is. Um, but Yamato like, could play better in DDT. Yes. Yeah. Like, Kai has learned to fit in. Uh, but those first few months, I remember it was it was very iffy for both of them, where it looked like they maybe would be better if they left. Um, but I just feel like these are two guys who can come in. They haven't appeared you know, frequently or at all for the last while. And they come in and they're very talented and they're able to, you know, make fun matches. So I was happy to see both of them. Um, after that, we had the Open the Triangle Gate Championship match with the Strong Machine Gundam, I think, the Strong Machine J, Strong Machine F, and Strong Machine G, defeating Yuki Yoshioka, Yo Watanabe, and Kota Minora. Uh, that is, of course, the Mojizuki Dojo trio. Uh, Strong Machine J tapped out Watanabe 
with the Maijin Fusha Datame. Um, this was the first defense for the Strong Machines. This was like a this was one of the matches on the card that I thought suffered from having a, a weird crowd. Like a, they weren't dead the entire night, but they were definitely more dead than I'm used to hearing from a Dragon Gate crowd. I guess uh, they just they would go long stretches without making a lot of noise, and especially uh, early in this match, they were pretty dead. Um, so that that like definitely you know made this match come off a little more boring than it might have otherwise. Um, you know, they did win the lower by the end and got them back into it. So you have to give them credit for that. But I don't know. I'm just, I'm not really that into this machine army thing. I, I think part of the problem is the crowd doesn't seem to, I noticed this at Corican too, where like the, the machine army works very heelish, but the crowd doesn't really boo them because, you know, they know the two of them are Don Fuji and Gamma. So like they don't, um, sorry if I, I just did the voice of wrestling tradition of unmasking people, but anyway, um, they know that like people, you know, they know that these are two people they love. So even though they work like heels, they don't boo them at all. So it just kind of creates a weird vibe. And I don't know. I just don't really, I'm not that into it. I know some people love the strong machine army, but it's just not, not really a thing that I'm super into right. And when I watch Dragon Gate, I don't know. what do you think of this? It seems clear to me that, the audience is not really into them either because you talked about the dead crowd. There was also a dead crowd at Kobe world when they, when the strong machine uh, army won the titles. Uh, Something I noticed is they won the titles and then there was absolute silence as uh, Wakamatsu did his um, bullhorn siren. And I just think that it, it's not connected. I mean, it hasn't connected with me, so I totally understand. It just is, it's a strange, they work a style that I'm not really all that interested in. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I know that it's, I mean, Gamma, I could give or take, but Fuji, I like watching him wrestle. And for the past four or five months, however long they've been here. It's been him under a mask, and I really just haven't enjoyed the team. I understand that, you know, Jay is very talented for a young rookie, although I don't know how long he was training before he debuted. But just the whole act I'm not very into. It's It seems uh, discongruous with the, with the Dragon Gate style in a way. Um, that I think the crowd hasn't gotten into and I haven't gotten into. So I see where you're coming from, although I thought that this actually, especially near the end, when the crowd got back into it, was one of the better outings for the Strong Machines. Um, But I totally see where you're coming from, and I, frankly, am not all that interested in the Strong Machines, and if they disappeared tomorrow and Gamma and Fuji came back, I would consider that an improvement. The, the, the weird thing to me is, like, obviously everybody knows who Gamma and Fuji are, but they don't even work. Like, you'd think the joke would be they work like Gamma and Fuji and do their spots or something, but they don't really do that. They just yeah, because, work like generic heels. Because I don't think – I think that they – I mean, either they think this or they've been told that – I think they're trying to get this guy, oh, Strong Machine J, over, obviously. So I think they've probably been told don't – work a joking style because we want this guy to get over and work these sort of high and, you know, serious matches, which 
is clearly not connecting with the crowd. And I noticed this time um, it looks like Strong Machine J's mask is a slightly different color than Strong Machine F and Strong Machine G, which is the first time I've seen that or the first time I've noticed it maybe. Um, it felt like he had a purple mask and F and G had the blue, the normal blue. So I don't know if they're looking to maybe differentiate them or something's going to change, but I just thought that was interesting. But yeah, I totally see what you mean. You would think that they would have some indication that it is Fuji who's now hasn't wrestled as himself in many, many months. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I didn't really care for this. Match number four, uh, Masaki Mochizuki and Keisuke Okuda defeating Naruki Doi and Kaito Ishida. Uh, Okuda submitting Ishida with the triangle choke in 1036. Uh, this was a big improvement. This was the first thing on the show that I thought was really quite good. Um, weirdly, I thought it like it, it was going along really well for a while, like which is especially all the kick exchanges and everything. But I thought it like lost momentum towards the end, which you don't really see that every day, like a, especially these days. Like a match instead of peaking at the end, just feels like it kind of peters out. Um, so by the time it was over, I only went like about three and a half stars on it, but it was still the best thing on the show so far by far at this point. And it's funny because I was thinking, I just talked about how the strong machines feel so different stylistically than the rest of Dragon Gate. And therefore I don't like them because Okuda does feel different stylistically than a lot of other people in Dragon Gate. And I do like him. Um, I think he's been really good. The match with Mochizuki he had was very good. Although it feels like at this point he's in a holding pattern. Um, and this sort of feels like a holding pattern match where he's got a next step that they aren't ready to move him to yet. So he's sort of living in this Mochizuki dojo phase of his life. So I'm more interested to see where he moves to next, if it's in a unit with Ben K and other people or if there's something else that happens in Mochizuki Dojo. Uh, but I would agree with you. I'd probably go around three and a half. Um, thought it was good, but it was sort of good at the limit of where it is on the card, which is sort of near the middle, closer to the beginning. So, yeah, three and a half. Couldn't you see him turning heel and joining red, too? I mean, he always has that vibe to me. Um, I could... I guess I hadn't thought about that. I guess I could. I'm just wondering. It it seems like the momentum has been towards Ben K getting his own unit. Mm. And because they're actual real-life friends, um, that's sort of been where I've thought it's, it's going. And I think he's... He has sort of the crowd interested in him where I think he'd be a valuable asset, but he isn't using a big name. He isn't taking some big name from somewhere else and putting it in there. Um, but I could see him turning heel and going to red, but I guess I wonder if someone would then move out of red, and I don't know who that would be. Yeah, good point, I guess. So. Uh then we had the next 20th anniversary celebration series match. Um, Ultimo Dragon, BB Hulk, and Kai defeating Masato Yoshino, Dragon Kid, and Jason Lee. Uh, Ultimo Dragon pitting Jason Lee in 1612 with the Blood Magistral. Um, this one I thought was a little too long for what it was. It just kind of felt like a, you know, I mean, it wasn't bad or anything, but it was very much just like an exhibition match, which is 
kind of what I expected going in. And, you know, I just think 16 minutes was a little bit long here for what they were going for. I, mine has less to do with the actual workings of the match and the fact I know after the match, um, Yoshino talked about offering Ultimo a full-time roster spot, which is a little bit concerning to me. Um, I think it's been super interesting that he's back, that Ultimo's back. You know, obviously you have a lot of built-in stories there. You know, we were at that cork and it was quite shocking. You know, it was certainly very interesting. And they've had a few matches where they've managed to sort of hide him well or well enough that they can get through it and the match is pretty good um, and hide his uh, decreasing skill level. Uh, but I do worry about making him a regular roster member because as we've seen, he's already picked up, I believe, two victories. Uh, and I just worry about him coming in and A, not being very good and B, picking up these victories over someone like, you know, I'm a big Jason Lee fan and I get that it's Ultimo Dragon. You're getting pinned by Ultimo Dragon, but I just don't want Ultimo Dragon going all over this roster pinning everyone because they, you know, want to make him look good or they don't want to upset him or they don't want to have any issues or X, Y, Z, whatever it is. I just don't know that outside of a sort of interesting, hey, look at this, if he's really any use to this roster. Yeah, I don't know if I'm really that into it either. We're going to find out on September 11th, apparently, on the Corican, but I assume they wouldn't have invited him unless it's going to happen. So, um, After that, we have match number six, Asazumu Yokosuka defeating uh, Shun Skywalker in 1303 with the Mugen. Do you have any idea why this wasn't a Brave Gate title match since Asazumu's champion? I, I really couldn't figure out a good answer to that. Um, no, I would have to go back and... I would have to go back and look and see if there was something about it. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of, that's kind of interesting to me. I thought for sure Shuma was going to win because of that, but then they just had Shuma beat him. Um, as far as the match itself, though, I thought it was a good match. Um, the The big thing about the match it, it, it started again. You know, very slow and took a long time to get going, which in a 13-minute match isn't great. But, you know, it did, again, didn't have a lot of heat, which was a big problem with a lot of stuff in the show. But I thought the facing stretch was really fun. Um, and even when, you know, even when the, what, the crowd wasn't into it, the work I still thought was pretty solid. So I ended up going three and a half on it. Uh, it's a good match, definitely on the upper side of the card. But, you know, nothing that you need to run out of your way to watch or anything. I was about the same. I'm finding, uh, personally, I think that I need to um, sort of reset my calibration when it comes to expectations for Shun. Not that he's been bad, uh, but there have been moments when he's been so good recently that I think I've now I now expect him to come out, especially in singles matches like this, and really deliver on a top top level. Um, I felt the same way at with the Kobe World match with KZ, uh, which I thought was really good, and I gave four stars. But I went into that match thinking, oh, this could be four and a half, four and three quarters, you know, 
something like that. And I felt similar here just because Susumu has been so good with the Brave Gate matches recently and Skywalker has been so good that I was expecting something um, sort of bigger and grander and um, on, a, on another level than I think what we got, which is a 13-minute match. So I was probably around three and a half as well. Um, but felt a little disappointing, but I think that's just because my expectations now are so high for Skywalker that it's hard. I think Dragon Gate sees him at a different level than I probably do at this moment, so I just have to sort of recalibrate my expectations going forward. Um, then after that, we had the Open the Twin Gate Championship no DQ match. Uh, Eita and Big R Shimizu defeating KZ and Genki Horiguchi in 2108 when Big R pinned Genki with the shot put slam. The first successful defense for Ada and Shimizu. Um, oh, I should mention too before we actually before that, uh, Maria came out and gave Shizumu a kiss and challenged him for the Brave Gate. So I guess that was your next Brave Gate match. It was also funny when Shizumu seemingly knew the kiss was coming before he turned around. So, <laughs> um, but yes, the Twin Gate match, I thought this was awesome. Uh, by far the best thing on the show. Um, you know, this, this again, it went 21 minutes, but never felt like it dragged to me. And, you know, it was just a really fun, fun wild brawl. Uh, there's a lot of really cool spots. You know, um, there was my favorite spot that, like, probably doesn't, I don't know if it stands out to people unless you're, like, a longtime fan, was, like, Ada cutting off Genki's, uh, like, fake hair or whatever. <laughs> but he, like, cuts off just enough so it's humiliating, but he, enough that he can still grab him by it, which I thought was really funny. Um, and then, you know, Punch Tobinaga did a run-in and looked better than he has in an actual match probably in years and years that I've seen anyway, which I thought was kind of amusing. Um, and then the finish I really liked were, were Big Archimizu. He does a big splash off the ladder uh, on KZ, which looked, you know, like absolutely amazing, and that that's – a great spot to do right for the finish. So he hits that spot, and instead, I feel like other types of these type of matches, these wild, uh, you know, kind of like spot festy um, tornado tags, they would just keep going and going and going after that. But he does the big spot, puts him to the table, tosses him to the floor, and then he just hits the friggin' uh, shot put slam on Genki and pins him. And it just felt very definitive. It felt like a great win for the for Ada and Big R. And, you know, it just ended right where it should have ended. It didn't keep going. I just remember thinking, like, wow, I'm going to remember this when I'm watching the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers next weekend. <laughs> I'm sure it will not end where it feels like it should end. So it'll probably go another 10 minutes after that. But, yeah, I mean, like, it was a really good match. I went four and a quarter. Uh, didn't overstay its welcome. And a really, really fun wild brawl. Uh, I totally agree. I think it was the best match on – the card. I loved the, you mentioned punch coming in. I love that whole section with, you know, red interfering and then uh, natural vibes coming in and Susumu, you know, only one match after his match, he was out there very fast. Um, I love that whole part, but I thought it was great. And I thought one uh, big thing I was sort of sad about when Ben K got kicked out of red is that I had loved the big Ben tag team so much. And I thought that they were great, but I thought Ada has really um, slid into that tag row really well. They hit that uh, what used to be 
you know, Shimizu would throw the guy up in the air and Ben K would give him a spear is now Big R throws him up in the air and Ada gives him a super kick, which I thought looked really good um, on this show. Um, so I, th- I just thought it was great for great wrestlers that, you know, definitely delivered. And I thought it was good. I thought it was, I think in a similar way that you, what you just mentioned is that I felt it was a good, no disqualification match without going over the top and feeling excessive. Yeah. Um, which is probably a good way of stating what you already stated, but yeah, really liked it. I think I went four and a fourth or something like that. Uh, yeah, it's exactly what I went four and a quarter. So I agree. It was a very good match by far the best thing on the show. Uh, the main event, I wonder if we'll be different on this at all. The open, the dream gate title match, Ben K defeating Yamato in 2810 with the Ben K bomb. Um, to me, this was every single Yamato title defense during that reign I lived through, except the Dory one that I liked that nobody else liked. But um, where it just f- went on forever, it felt like nothing much was happening. Um, you know, there's like, there was finally like, w- like right after I tweeted that, like, you know, I feel like I'm time north and nothing much has happened. There was like one really cool spot where Ben K like just fucking threw Yamato over the top rope to the floor and then did the spear to the floor. So that was really cool. And that's about like, those spots are about what I'm going to give it any praise for. But then the finish just felt really, really flat where like Ben K just kind of puts him out and then just kind of hits the Ben K bomb and wins. It was like, it almost felt like, okay, all that. And we don't even really get like a killer closing stretch or anything. It just really felt like a flat finish on top of it. And like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I didn't like this at all. You know, I, I went three stars which is about the highest I could go. And it was almost like three, you know, out of respect for some of the stuff they did, but it just 28 minutes. It was just way too long for what they did. Yeah. It felt like to me a lot happened, but also at the same time, not a lot happened. Um, I reacted the same way with that spot, throwing Yamato over the rope and then doing the spear, um, which I really liked, but it felt like I would watch it and say, oh, there's stuff happening, but I'm just not really connecting with anything that's going on here. Um, it did It did have the feeling, um, I think I totally agree, of uh, Yamato's title reign, which I don't even know. I would have to go back and see what I thought of those, but I just remember not really liking any of those matches, so it felt very much like that, where it sort of feels... Um, overly long and very slow to get started. And a lot of times, you know, you can come back from that, but sometimes you just start so slow that you can never really get out of that. You can never really get away from the slowness as much as you try and, you know, pick it up later in the match, which I think might be what happened here with the flat end, which I also agree was sort of flat and out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, it's surprising that I thought it wasn't very good, but also I it's sort of what I expected when they announced uh, Yamato as challenging. I thought, oh, this probably won't be very good. Um, and, it, and, you know, it wasn't bad, but it certainly was not a match I really enjoyed, um, which is a bit which is a bit of a bummer because you'd like to see Ben K have uh, a string of really great matches to really uh, give him a boost with the title. Yeah. So overall, like I said, just 
not a great show at all. Um, you know, the only thing I would really say you have to watch is that Twin Gate match. I would very much recommend that. It was a really fun 21-minute, uh, like, brawl-style match. And there's a couple of matches that are pretty good. Uh, the, you know, the the Mochizuki tag, uh, Susumu and Shun Skywalker, but I wouldn't call them must-watches by any stretch either. So, you know, not that great of a big show. Um, some stuff coming up. The for Dragon Gate on September 1st in Sendai, there's an interesting match with Otomo Dragon, the great Sasuke, uh, Jinsei Shinzaki, and Dragon Kid facing Yamato, BB Hulk, Kai, and Kagatora. Interesting to have Sasuke and Jinsei back in Dragon Gate. Um, and then September 11th in Korokin, another big Ultimo match, uh, Ultimo Dragon, Dragon Kid, and Darkness Dragon, which was Kness's original gimmick before he lost a mask versus mask match to Dragon Cat all the way back in, like, 2002. They take on Masato Yoshino, Naruki Doi, and Yamato. So that should be a fun little six-man tag. And also announced for that September 11th Korokin is Susumu Yokosuka against Yosuke Santa Maria. So that's for the Brave Gate title. So that should be... I mean, you know, I'll definitely check out that Korokin. You know, those two matches that interest me. But we'll see where we go from there. Uh, that brings us then to the next show we're going to talk about, which was Tokyo Joshi Pro's brand new wrestling 2019, stronger than anyone from Cork and Hall, uh, in front of 905 fans, um, which is not the biggest crowd they've drawn, honestly, at Corrigan, but you know, it's, it is what it is, I guess. This show I thought was really, really fun. Um, you know, pretty much, I don't know if it's possible for a Tokyo Joshi Pro Corkin to be bad. I just, I can't remember ever not liking one. And they're, they're all pretty much like this where like nothing on the card is going to like super blow you away, but everything is fun and everything is enjoyable. So, you know, I, this is yet another one where I really, I enjoyed the entire show. Yeah, I liked it too. Um, there's a I, I took a peek at the questions that people sent on Twitter earlier, and there is a question about Tokyo Joshi, which I think um, I'll give a larger point about the promotion there. But I thought it was a very strong show and probably in their current um, I don't know if setup is the right word in their current setup is probably near the top tier of the type of shows that they're going to have. Um, cause I thought it had quite a few strong matches. Um, and I would agree with you. I think their Corkins are, um, pretty uniformly strong. So I, th- I thought it was a good show. Uh, it opened up with Yuki Aino defeating Kari Noah with the Venus DDT and 942. Uh, this was a really good opener. This was a, uh, and I went three and three quarters on it. I thought they both just looked really good here. Um, you know, they're, they're both not exactly veterans by any stretch. I think they've both been at this for under two years. Uh, Yuki Aino has been around the promotion longer because at one point she was a ring announcer, but Hikari Noah from the Up Up Girls has actually been wrestling longer than her. Um, so, you know, this was a, you know, two people who are not veterans by any stretch, but they put on a really solid opening match here. Really good. Uh, I think you liked it more than I did. I thought it was... I thought it was fine. I thought it was a perfectly serviceable opening match. Um, I really thought when they, uh, when Yuki had the, I think it was the crab on, or what was it? The, um, not the, or the, um, she had that submission on, and now I can't even remember what it was, and it looked really painful. 
And yeah, I only wish that that was had been the... Maybe was it, it was, a crab? Or was it Dragon Seed? It was something where, like, uh, Hikari Noah's entire upper body was, like, being stretched backwards. And I, and I assume it's because she can, like, um, you know, she's very flexible, but it looked really brutal. So it was, like, the same reason, like, when people used to put Jack Evans in holds, where he's very flexible back in the day in Ring of Honor, and, like, he would, you know, because he's so flexible, he would make these holds look really brutal when they probably weren't actually that painful for him. But here, right. same thing here. I assume it wasn't nearly as painful as it looked because she's just very flexible, but like it looked really painful. I think it was, it might have been Dragon Sleeper or something something like that. But whatever. Something was, like that. But it looked really good. And I thought that that should have been the finish, especially considering I think the match ended like two minutes later. Yeah. Uh, I just thought it looked really good. And it, you know, I think it would have really worked as the finish. Uh, after that, we had a tag match featuring four of the newer rookies uh, with Himawari Unagi and Palm Harajuku defeating Yumi and Mahiro Kiryu when Unagi submitted uh, Kiryu with the big Fuin hold in 843. Um, this was good. It, you know, they're, they're still all very green. So there was like one really badly mistimed spot where Yumi was going for, I think, a kick, right? Or something. And like, just completely fucked it up, and they just completely messed up. But, you know, she's, like, fucking 14 years old, isn't she? I mean, it's just going to happen. <laughs> so you can't really get on them for that. Um, but, yeah, I, I like all four of them, though, as far as, like, the rookies go. I think Mahiro is actually my favorite, just as far as, like, um, she has, like, a very, like, spunky air to her, which I which I like, and she looks, she probably looks the smoothest in there as far as, like, you know, the, the newer people. Um, but I know she's like, she also kind of goes under the radar, I think, cause you know, the other ones all kind of have very much like a, you know, Palm Harajuku is very beloved already. I think like she's, cause she's very memeable. Uh, Unagi has like large breasts and that's her whole thing. And Yumi is, you know, a, you know, 14 year old five foot nine girl, which is obviously makes her stand out. But so Mahiro kind of blends in. But she is very good at, uh, you know, I think she's like the best in-ring worker so far. And I want to shout out, um, you know, their former guest on here um, at AE2501MAETH, which I don't know how to like say that out loud, so it's hard to spell. But I want to shout her out on Twitter because she reminded me, or she basically said exactly what I was thinking before I could really put into thoughts, where, where like Mahiro reminds me of like very early Mayu Iwatani and like they, they wear like kind of similar gear, which she pointed out, but like just a vibe to them, I think is very similar. Like this very tomboyish vibe. So I wanted to give her a shout out for that one. It's a follow her on Twitter. Great, great Twitter follow. Um, anyway, good tag match. I don't know if you have any big thoughts on it. Uh, no, there was like a dancing kick by Unagi. That was awesome. Where she like basically did a little dance all the oh, way. Oh, when she did the pirouettes into the yeah. into the leg lariat or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. Cool. Um, match number three: the Yuna Minase, Yuki Kamifuku, and Mina Shirakawa cat's pie, as they're being called. Uh, they defeated Rika Tatsumi, Nodoka Tema, and Raku. Minase pinned Raku with the Suzuki Dynamic in eleven twelve. Um, First of all, have to give a shout out to Mina Shirakawa for wrapping them down to the ring, which they had been teasing they were going to do that on Twitter and then actually like went through with it. So it was a 
It was very, very interesting. Um, as far as the match itself, just another fun little undercard tag. But Cat's Pie, they have a, they have a very like um, a fun dynamic together. Especially if you follow any of them on Twitter, they really go into it a lot more on Twitter than on I feel like even on the shows. But they're they're a fun crew. I enjoy the Cat's Pie. You have any thoughts on this one? Um. I guess, what do you think is going on? This is unrelated to what you just talked about, but what do you think is going on with Tenma? Because it feels like she changed the gimmick and then she got the title match and since then she really hasn't done anything. Yeah, I just feel like she's, she had her, that was her run and now she's kind of like just an undercard act, probably. All right. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll accept that. Uh, match number four, Yuka Sakazaki and Sue Young ended in a double knockout in 1340. This was fucking awesome. Um, I was, I had no idea what to expect from this. I'm not a big, uh, you know, American indie watcher or, or 2019 impact watcher. So I had no, I really had no frame of reference for Sue Young. I probably saw her once or twice, um, including in her last little Tokyo Joshi run, but you know, I don't. I didn't know she was capable of having a match this good. Honestly, um, I mean, this was the best match of the show. Uh, you know, and Yuka Yuka Sakazaki is awesome. I mean, I, I don't think that's really stunning news to anyone who follows Tokyo Joshi. But they just did like they had a totally crazy brawl. At one point, Yuka put Su Young on a table and ha- slid this table with her on it, mind you. Like it's like a like it's a fucking bobsled. Slid it down the stairs of Cork at all. One of the craziest spots we've ever seen. Like, I didn't know it was still possible to see a fucking spot involving a table and wrestling in 2019 that I'd never seen before. But they pulled it off. So I have to give them credit for that one. And then Yuka puts her through the table with a magical girl splash off that, like, you know, the entryway into the into Cork and Hall. You know, like, like you're coming up into the arm seats. And... You know, the, the DET English account, who I, I always give a shout out to when we do these episodes, he pointed this out. The fact that Yuka and Sue were able to break that table, Yuka weigh, probably weighs like 80 pounds. It was pretty crazy that she was even able to, like, get enough force to break one of these Japanese tables. I mean, these are not these pre-cut American tables, you know? They're, like, they're pretty sturdy. I've seen, like, full-grown men fail to break them. So they did a pretty great job there with Yuka, you know, managing to get it to the table. It looked awesome, too. Um and then, like, Sue Young did, like, a spinning power slam on the apron. Um, and then there was, like, a bunch of comedy involving, like, uh, the fucking GM's smelly shoe and smelly sock, which is just, like, this match was, like, weird, where it go from, like, it'd be very intense, and all of a sudden it'd be, like, foot comedy. But, yeah, and then it ended up ending with a double knockout because Sue Young has her... What is it? Is that also a sock? What the hell is it's that? A, it's a bloody sock, I believe. Okay. So she had her bloody sock, and Yuka had her smelly sock, and they put each other out for the double knockout, which sounds ridiculous, and it was ridiculous, but it absolutely worked. So as a finish. So I have to give it four stars. It was fucking awesome. Uh, cannot praise this enough. Uh, I agree. I went four stars. I, I found it sort of funny that Yuka kept it appeared that she kept trying to land on her head. Um, she took that power slam on the on the apron and then slid off head first. And I watched all the seconds ringside panic as they <laughs> watched her head 
go straight down towards the floor. And then she did it on some move in the ring where she took some move in the corner and then went head first down. Well, she's like, what? Watching her Naito tapes, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I agree. It was really great. I mean, I think the best – I'm trying to think back of what I've seen. Maybe the best Sue Young match I've ever seen. She, you know, she has a very interesting uh, – this sort of – Bloody I don't even – bloody undead. Yeah, bride character which is a great character but often you know her matches are more about story and you know in impact she was doing this you know undead whatever storyline so sometimes it can be character over ring work but i thought that this was really good and i went four stars as well then we had mizuki defeating maki ito with the cube cutie special i almost called the cube special in 17 minutes, um, I couldn't believe this one. 17 minutes when I saw it, and I mean that in a uh, in a good way. Like it did not feel like anywhere near that long. Um, but yeah, this was a really fun match. I like that they they kind of told so so early on. You know, Maki Ito goes to do the the fucking um, you know the who's accused in the world thing in the corner, and Mizuki just like casually walks away, like she just walks out from underneath. Maki Ito before she could do the call and the punching and, and everything. And it's like, I don't know if they're trying to say, well, Mizuki knows Maki Ito, so she knows this counter, which is a very simple counter, just walking out of the corner. And it reminded me almost like of uh, for people who watched Jakara back in the day when they would build up the Jakara special as like, you know, oh, it has a very super secret counter. And then the counter turned out to be just kicking the guy in the head. So I don't know, it just kind of reminded me of that. Um, but then Maki Ito found her own counter to this, to the, the walking away counter. She wrapped a microphone around Mizuki's neck and tried to strangle her to death on the outside. And while strangling her with this microphone, then said to the microphone, who's the cutest in the world? Which is like perfect Maki Ito right there in a nutshell. Um, but yeah, this match was great. I went three and three quarters. Uh, another really good match here. What do you think of Maki and Mizuki, the Ito Respect Army exploding? I like it as well. I think Mizuki is really good, and I hope that she continues up the card because um, I think she's super talented, and I think sometimes Ito gets in matches with people who are sort of equal to her skill level or maybe below, and I think those matches can suffer. But I think Mizuki is so good that she really kept this going. And um, I really enjoyed it. Then we had the next match, which was another debut match. Yet another uh, debuting Tokyo Joshi wrestler. How are they, like, pumping out so many wrestlers now? It's really kind of crazy. Um, we have Shoko Nakajima and Riho defeating Mirai Mayaumi and the debuting Suzume. Uh, Shoko pinned Suzume at the Northern Light Suplex in 1116. Um, this was good. I didn't definitely didn't think it was, like, uh, you know, it was like a three and a half star match, which, you know, considering that like it was someone's first match ever, <laughs> that's really good. Um, you know, there wasn't like a ton to it, but like the the spot that really stands out to me is Mariah Mariah's lariat. Like she had this really really hard lariat towards the end of the match, which just looked great. And Riho was like being kind of an asshole too, which I thought was interesting. Like she kept pulling on Suzumi's head a lot, hair a lot, and like kept getting booed a lot. But yeah, I thought this was good. What do you, you think of this one? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I just sometimes wonder if it's 
it seems like every Tokyo Joshi show I watch, they're debuting someone new. And I do feel at times like people debut and two weeks later, they've sort of been outshined by, oh, here's the next debut. Where like I think of Mirai, didn't she debut? When did she debut? Last month, two months the ago? Last, the last quarter, I think, in May. Okay. It just seems like they debut and then it's like, okay, moving on. Now we have this new debut. And sometimes these people, at least to me in my brain, I don't know if it's just my bad brain, but these people just sort of get lost to me because it's sort of they make their debut and then they just become sort of part of this, you know, it's like, okay, now you're just in these matches. And there's so many of them that they continuously have to say, oh, this person's the new, you know, you know, they get the focus for a little bit when they debut, and then it seems like they debut and they not that they disappear because obviously Mirai was in this match, but just the it would be nice to me if they would debut and get a little focus for a while, like, oh, now it's their fifth, you know, it's their fifth match. It's part of what I like about um you know, like New Japan, there's only really ever at most four young lions because it allows you the opportunity to say, okay, these are the four people and I'm going to spend a lot of time and I'm going to get to know them. Now I'm not saying that Tokyo Joshi should only have four new people for five years at a time, but just sometimes it just feels like people get lost in the shuffle because it feels a constant, this person's debuting. Oh, now it's this person. It's, it's a new person. It's this person, this person's coming, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, then the semifinal, the international princess title, the first champion decision battle, Natsumi Maki defeating Gizale Shaw with the German suplex in 1425. Um, that makes Natsumi Maki, of course, the first international princess champion, the new secondary singles title in Tokyo Joshi. This was yet another good match. I went three and a half on it. Um, I didn't know anything about Miss Shaw before, so maybe you can fill us in on that a little bit, but... I thought she looked pretty good here. Uh, there were definitely a few spots where you could tell they were a little, maybe not quite on the same page. But other than that, I thought it was a pretty good match. Uh, unfortunately, I can't fill you in about oh. um, Giselle Shaw. I think she wrestles mostly Giselle. if I'm... Well, you pronounced the name correctly, which is better than I did. Oh, Giselle Shaw? <laughs> I said Giselle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I guess I do have one up on you. But I think she wrestles mostly in the UK, um, which is a scene I don't watch. <laughs> so I don't I don't really know much about her. I thought the match was pretty good, although um, Giselle Shaw, she seems to have this American thing where she obviously has some athletic ability. You know, she did the Spanish fly off the top rope. She had some other impressive things that she did. But there's a sort of inset awkwardness to the way that they wrestle, which I find with a lot of American, you know, not the top tier American female wrestlers, but sort of that middle tier where I don't even really know how to describe it. I don't know if I'm getting it across well, but it's almost like a, like a hesitation or, you know, they're, it just feels like they aren't going full out because they're worried that, you know, oh, they're going to be in the wrong place or they're not sure about something. Um, I thought that she definitely showed potential, and I think being in Japan, of course, will always be helpful. 
Um, but that was that was really my main takeaway from the match. Yeah, so looking at the looking at her cage match, she definitely wrestles mostly in the UK. So, I mean, she was wearing that Canadian outfit, and I guess she was a Lance Storm trainee, and she did wrestle Canada a lot, but now it's mostly the UK. Um, okay, so then we have the main event of the evening, the Princess Tag Team titles, Saki-sama and Misao, defeating Miyu Yamashita and Miyu Watanabe. Uh, Misao pinned Watanabe with the Vanitas in... 1725, the second defense for Neo Bishiki Goon. Um, th- so this was like another one where I was like, again, I feel like a broken record. A good match, not like a like blow away great match like they were having for a while with these tag titles with uh, Mizuki and Yuka. I went three and a half on it. Um, I thought it was better than the match where Saki and Misawa won the titles, which we were at. That that I found pretty disappointing, but this was pretty good. Um, you know, definitely did drag a little bit at 1725 and there were like some exchanges especially with uh with saki sama and miyu yamashita were like i don't know like they had like a long kick exchange and they it didn't really like hit the epic level i think it was going for um partially because i think saki i mean saki sama works best you know when she's basically not selling at all which is what she does most of the time anyway but she's like she she's very much like a monster heel kind of and you know, where she just gets in there and just, like, you know, totally shrugs off everybody's offense. But it's very difficult to shrug off Miyu Yamashita's offense, and, you know, Miyu, to a degree, doesn't sell a lot either. So, you know, sometimes that can be really good to people who don't, you know, sell a ton meeting, but I just thought here it came off kind of awkward in their exchanges where, like, you know, neither of them were really, like, doing anything particularly cool, but neither of them were really, like, selling for each other. And I kind of got why they never went to that match, uh, you know, during Miu, Miu's long... Did they... Maybe they did do that match. I don't... Could have sworn they did, but now maybe... No. Did they? No. I'm, thinking, I'm thinking now I'm wrong. They actually did do it, but I'm going to look it up. Um, but yeah, so like, as far as that goes, though, I thought... Uh, I thought like the, the rest of the match, though, I mean, I, I just felt like I trashed it. But I thought a lot of the match was really good. And, you know, the especially all the stuff with, uh, you know, with Misao towards the end... You know, when you know, there was a one point where Masao threw a back elbow, also referred to frequently as the Judas effect, but because he's not Chris Jericho, it did not did not put anyone down. Um, and there was also, and then she they did a 3D at one point, and hearing the announcer go like 3D, that was funny. Um, but yeah, that was a uh, okay. So her, I'm looking through really quickly, which is why I sound distracted. Her second title reign, she never fought Saki Sama. According to Cage Match, at least, the, let's see the maybe she did in the first title reign. Let's say, I don't know, not, not the first title reign either. So there you go, I was right. Uh, there was no, they never did a Yamashita Saki Sama title match. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, I think this might might have been why because like when they met in the ring, it was like kind of awkward. It wasn't really like, you know, anything I would be clamoring to see a singles match of. But you know, I feel like I'm being too hard on because I did really enjoy it by the end. I went three and a half stars on it. Yeah, I liked it a little bit better than you. I went three and three-fourths. I thought it was a fun match. I thought it had a nice closing sequence. Um, I I do see what you are saying about uh, Miyu and Saki-sama, because I also found those exchanges uh, slightly, um, not underwhelming, but a little bit odd. Um, but I thought it was pretty fun, and I thought – 
you know, when Masao and Saki-sama won the titles, I agree with you that the mat, the title change, which we were at live, was fairly disappointing to me because I was expecting, especially with the Magical Sugar Rabbits in the match, who had been having uh, such a run of really strong tag title matches. Um, I was a bit concerned that this uh, Masao and Saki-sama tag title reign was probably not going to get anywhere near those, the caliber of those previous matches. Uh, but I thought that this was pretty good. I mean, it helps that they're across the ring from two of the better wrestlers in the entire promotion um, to get them through it. But I I enjoyed it. I wasn't blown away. You know, I only went three and three-fourths, but I thought it was pretty good. But yeah, so that was overall a, you know, yet another show where, like, pretty much everything was pretty good. Uh, there was one match that I would say, like, if you absolutely have to only pick one, you know, definitely watch uh, Sue Young and Yuka Sakazaki. But really, the entire show was really fun. So I don't know why you wouldn't just watch the whole thing. Um, and then quickly, the the next Tokyo Joshi show um, will be in Osaka, the Mountaintop 2019. I will not lose to anyone on September 1st. Um, you know, and that's like the same day as the big DDT uh, Osaka Octopus show. And that has a big main event with Shoko Nakajima defending the Princess of Princess title against Mizuki, who, of course, won the Princess Cup this year. Uh, what do you think, Taylor? Any chance of a title change here? Um, I'm, I guess there could be only because I'm not really sure. You know, sometimes you go into title matches knowing what the direction is, but I haven't really understood since the title changed what exactly they're going for here, uh, what or what exactly the end game is. So I think it's possible, but if I was choosing personally, I would probably say no. Uh, the other matches in the card feature Saki-sama, Misao, and Martha taking on Yuka Sakazaki, Rika Tatsumi, and Antonio Honda. Uh, that's the semi-main event. Also, Maki Ito versus Sue Young, where I imagine they will scream at each other an awful lot. Uh, Mirai, Mayumi, and Suzume face off, the two newest rookies. Uh, there's also Natsumi Maki, Hikari Noah, and Raku against Yuta Manase, Nodoka Tema, and Yuki Aino. Miyu Yamashita and Miyu Watanabe against... Uh, Gazelle Shaw. <laughs> I almost said the wrong one again. And Yuki Kamifuku. No, no. G- Giselle Shaw. Giselle. Okay. Well, he was close. G- Gazelle is a is type of animal. Himawari <laughs> <laughs> Unagi and Yumi against Palm Harajuku and Mahiro Kyuji was the opener. So there you go. Looks like a exciting little card there. Definitely one I'm planning to watch on a, in a loaded wrestling weekend next week. Um, that will bring us then to our next show, which is the DDT Summer Vacation Memories 2019, which took place later the same day today at Corken Hall. Doesn't doesn't look like we have a um, a fan number yet, but it looked pretty full when, from watching. I mean, you could see, you could definitely see empty seats in the oranges, but not as many as I've seen uh, for some other Corrigan. So I'm expecting a de- decent number. Um, overall, this was like not about what I expected going in when you have Osaka Octopus, you know, a week away. Uh, it's not like going to be your main, main show. You know, there is some, a lot of big stuff that's safe for Osaka Octopus, but it was still an enjoyable show, you know, just nothing 
nothing that was blew, you know, nothing that blew me away and nothing where I'm like, well, you have to watch this, but good stuff. You know, up and down solid card, basically. What did you think, Taylor? Yeah, I would agree. I thought it was a fine show. I think we'll talk about it when we get to the main event. I think I liked it um, a bit more than you did. But I think it was very similar to Dangerous Gate where there was nothing I didn't like, but most of the show didn't blow me away in any way. So I thought it was good, but, you know. Yeah, I agree with that comparison. Uh, The problem for that comparison with Dragon Gate is this was a cork and for DDT. Yes. It was like a big show. So like like if that Dragon Gate show had been a cork, and I think it would have been a lot, you know, would have been fine. But. Um, okay, so DT Summer Vacation Memories opened up with a four-way tag. Uh, oh, before the opener, actually. So Mao came out and announced that he is going to be on excursion in the UK, uh, I believe starting in October for the rest of the year, um, the end of October, he said. But he did make sure to add that he won't come back and then immediately quit, which I thought was really funny. And if you don't know who that's in reference to, that's in reference to Irie. Because you know he did the American excursions and then just suddenly quit out of the blue, basically, um, before he came back again, and then you know had that last title run and then left again. I just thought it was a really funny little line. Uh, then we had a four-way tag match to open: Akito and Shuma Katsumata defeating Mad Pauly and Nobuhiro Shimitani, Masahiro Takanashi and Yuki Onaya, and Mizuki Watase and Naomi Yoshimura. Uh, Shuma pinned Shimitani with the Ihasta La Vista. Or hasta la vista. That's a, that's an exclamation point. Eight <laughs> thirty-one. Uh, but yeah, this was this was a you know a fun match. Kind of unfair to Shinma and Akito because every other team had a big guy and they were like all on their own, which led to, like a really funny spot at the start where like you know Shinma gets tagged in with all three big dudes uh, and just like you know he tries to shoulder block all of them, which doesn't go well, and he tries to do like a, a triple crossbody and just bounces off all three of them. It was pretty funny. Um, but he got the last laugh and pinned Shimatani. It was a you know a fun but chaotic opener, basically. Yeah, I don't really have much to add. I thought it was good and you know a good a good opener, yeah. Match number two, the Calvi and Frito Lay collaboration match. Love and Potato Snacks Save the Earth. King Potato Chips and Dragon Potato Mask with a with Noriyuki Ishiabashi who's like a, um, an executive with one of them. I, I should have wrote down which one. I think with Calvi, but it could have been with Frito-Lay. I mean, who really gives a shit, honestly? But he's some potato chip executive. Uh, they defeated Kazuki Hirata and Hiroshi Yamato when Dragon submitted Hirata with the Dragon Potato Sleeper in 857. Um, first of all, I really should have seen it coming when Hiroshi Yamato started coming out and singing, and just as he started singing... Uh, Tokyo Go interrupted him. I did not see it coming though, and like it almost like killed me laughing when it when it finally, when it happened. Something about Yamato's expression too was just like absolutely perfect. Just <laughs> like he had the perfect like exasperated reaction. Uh, but then he joined in on the dance anyway, so I guess it was fine. Um, but as far as the match itself goes, uh, you know, at one point Hirata tried to take the potato chip executive hostage, which you know, of course Hirata would do that. Um, we had two romantic moments <laughs> where, like, uh, f- I think first, first, like, the potato chip man and Yamato almost kissed because the, their guns, like, touched, I guess. And then Hirata and the executive almost kissed. 
but they both got interrupted. But yeah, this was not quite as fun as the original potato chip battle where the, the two potato chip characters were against each other, but it was still uh, still quite fun. Also, have to mention that sadly we were once again missing Toru Washi, who was on lifeguard duty once again, um, Antonio Honda, who again had to mow his parents' lawn, and also Saki Akai was missing. Interestingly, because she was on vacation but available after the after the show for uh, merchandise and pictures, so that was nice of her on her vacation. Uh, but yeah, this was, this was a pretty fun tag. Yeah, and Honda just missed the match because he came out almost immediately after to make uh, the biggest <laughs> announcement of this show. Um, I like the I like the match. I mean, it's very hard to sit here and critique a match of King Potato Chips and Dragon Potato Match. <laughs> Although I do find I cannot believe people wrestle while eating. Not to not to slam the sponsor, but wrestle while eating potato chips, which seems like it would be horrendous. Because I'm not sure that there's a drier snack on earth than salty potato chips. Uh, so, th- I've got to mention too, this match came about because Hirata said he liked chocolate more than potato chips, which is what brought the two potato chip characters together. Yeah, so it was a lot of I had a lot of fun. Uh, so after the match, uh, like you said, Honda runs out, which again was really funny. One of the announcers said, "Like, not new gear." Because Honda was. Oh, yeah, he went, no, new gear, new gear. <laughs> that was really funny. Um, because Honda was obviously still wearing the Dragon Potato Mask uh, outfit. Um, but yeah, he's like, he just got here. And he said, I have a big announcement. And he brings out Cody Hall as his mystery partner. And the explanation for this was really fucking funny because he basically said in English that, um, you know, basically Cody Hall thinks. The Golden the Fox sign is a wolf pack sign. So he thinks Honda loves Scott Hall, I guess, and his family. And they did the thing together and now they're, you know, they're gonna be partners on the uh on the Osaka Octopus show. So that was that was actually really a funny joke. I enjoyed that. And Honda doing the Scott Hall toothpick throw <laughs> after they two sweeted each other. <laughs> you know, we'll see how long Cody Hall lasts if it's, you know, just the show or one month, but I have a I have a strange feeling it will be a short run. He really gets around, huh? <laughs> <laughs> then we had match number 3, the Iron Man Heavy Metalweight title, the, the first of the Super Jumbo special two big singles matches. Uh Puma King defeated Yuki Ureno with the Avalanche Powerbomb in 13:43. That makes him the 1,408th champion. Um, this was like the, the highlight of this match, probably was the, before the match even started, when Puma King, uh, like, he comes out and then he climbs to the top of the opposite entry, like, uh, the entry, like, entry structure. I don't know how to say, you know, the, the thing they come out of, like, the, cur- the thing the curtain's attached to. I don't know what else to call it, the entryway. Uh, but he climbs to the top of this thing, and as he's up there, I'm pretty sure the announcer said in Japanese, like, well, he is a cat. <laughs> like to explain to explain why you know he climbed to the top of the thing, and then he like dove on. Oh, you know, it really wasn't that great of a dive though. Um, the match itself, I didn't really care for this match. Um, I don't know; it just never felt like it really clicked to me. It felt like they were very awkward and on different pages. Um, I generally like Puma King and DDT. He had some really fun stuff last year with the Dio, but um, I don't know. I just I, 
I don't know if Moreno just wasn't a great opponent for him or he just was having a bad day, but I just didn't – this is probably my least favorite match of the show. I mean, I know there's no way to really look this up at this point, um, but how many straight one-on-one singles matches with no shenanigans have there been for the Iron Man heavy metal title? There know. can't be that many, right? No. I mean, I guess there could be with 14,000 or 1,400 champions, but it just seems so bizarre to have a singles match for this title. And I kept waiting for some like someone else to come out or something else to happen, which it never did. Uh, but I thought it was fine. I think I'm not as high on Puma King as you are. I've always found him fairly average, and I thought that this match was fairly average. Uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying he's like a f- favorite or anything, but I liked him a lot more in the in some of his Dio matches last year than I did this. Uh, match number four, Asuka and Makoto defeating Saki and Sue Young by disqualification when Young attacked the referee at 8.38. So Saki is, if people who don't know what the hell this gimmick was, basically, she was revealed as... Um, let me, I'm going to read this a little bit. They found the pro wrestling past, dug into Saki's past to learn more about her. This is via Dramatic DDT, by the way. The pro, they found out she was married at 32 years old to a Japanese soldier who died in the final day of World War II. She fled to the mountains in Kyoto and became secluded from society after her husband's death. Her time spent there seemed to have prevented her from aging. She might be a demon, but no one can confidently confirm it. Uh, I think we can confirm she's something uh, all right after this match because she like she stumbled out and did the fucking like zombie shuffle or whatever so convincingly. I think it was the 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 DT English guy, Mr. Haku, mentioned like it looked like you're watching CGI. I mean, to me, it looked like there's a famous clip where um, these people are trying to present their new animation technology. Uh, to Miyazaki, the famous anime director, and it's like this these the CGI like computer generated zombies and like they're they're weird like freaky animation and you could see me tell Miyazaki is like completely turned off by this and like he basically tells him he thinks it fucking sucks like he just flat out tells them you know this makes me sad basically like that this exists and I think it's terrible and you can watch their watching their faces and watch them become deflated uh, is really funny but like why they think why they thought Miyazaki would be the the audience for this, I have no idea. But anyway, it's like one of those zombies came out of the screen and became real life because she was so fucking good at like, you know, just shuffling with no direction whatsoever that it, it looked like she was came out of the fucking screen. It was really, really disturbing. Um so there you go. Another you can add that to Saki to Saki Akai's uh portfolio here she's a very good french aristocrat and she's also a very good uh <laughs> world war ii zombie but the match itself uh makoto and asuka both did a very good job looking incredibly frightened um you know they at one point um <laughs> at one point saki and Su young tried to eat their opponents and the ref didn't even do a five count i'm like come on if there's anything that's ever deserved a five count I think it would be trying to eat your opponent. Um, and then Asuka at one point in the middle of this comedy match does this incredible leap to the top rope and then a backflip off the top rope because she's really fucking good. Uh, but yeah, the referee threw it out because they kept trying to eat him, which seems appropriate to me. Uh, and then, and then 
And then the real chaos started, but like on the floor, Zombie Saki, she just fucking kicked this poor trainee Nakamura's ass. Did you see this? Like, she just kicked this kid as hard as she fucking could. I'm like, did she, like, just really get into this gimmick? Or, like, what the hell is going Because she's not normally, like, a, you know, a super vicious or mean person in there. And she just fucking, she kicked this kid as hard as, like, Lance Archer was hitting these fucking young lions in the G1. I'm like, what the hell got into her? But, uh, yeah, it was it was really something. All the, the mass chaos after the after the match. Yes, it was... Uh... It was quite something, although now there's so many Sakis. And because Saki, this this version is called Saki, but there's already a different unrelated wrestler who's called Saki, which until about four days ago when they put the picture up um, of this Saki, I thought was the other Saki who like wrestles in Gato Move and things like that. I'm like, there's going to be so many Sakis and three of them are all the same person, obviously, but... Um. Yeah, I thought it was fun. Lots of chaos after the match. Actress, she's with Actress Girl Z. It looks like. Oh, is that her home promotion? I know that I had seen her in Gato Move. I didn't remember where she's from. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know about her honestly. But it's, so they, there you go. There's four Sakis and three of them are the same. Person. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, there's also Saki Kashima, but at least that's a different Saki, I guess. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this was like, do you have any other thoughts on this? Cause this was crazy. No, it was very strange. It was uh, <laughs> a bizarre match. I, this is awesome. I enjoyed this. And I thought Saki Kai, like, I don't know when she decided to go like full galaxy brain, but she is like, she is the best maybe at not selling. Like she, between the Saki Sama gimmick and then this gimmick also, she is so good at completely ignoring her opponent's offense, which sounds like I'm, giving her like a backhanded compliment or like insulting her, but like it is actually kind of hard to completely ignore offensive moves being done to you. Like that's not something you can just do easily. She, she just manages not to react to anything, especially here. Like she didn't, you know, she basically like, you know, didn't even act like she was on the same mortal plane as the other person. So I don't know. I think that takes talent, even though, you know, you could say you could see some of her normal sake kai matches would be like okay well she's not that great at selling to begin with sometimes but like she is like really really good at just completely ignoring offense so good for her i guess she found two different gimmicks now where that's a a positive match number 5 the other Sumbo, summer jumbo special single match uh shinya yoki defeating makoto oishi with the european clutch eight and a half minutes um I thought this was a fun map-based match. Uh, I thought it was cool that Aoki reminded us that he had a, these flash pins in his arsenal, uh, which I assume that will play into the title match with Takashiya next week. Went about three and a quarter on it. Fun match. Liked it while it lasted. What do you think? I did too. I was happily surprised uh, at Oishi pulling out uh, the ground-based stuff here, as I didn't really know what to expect. I think I've been on here before as a big, big fan of Aoki, and I still think he's good, but I think he's sort of gotten a little bit off the path recently. I think the match with Dino was probably my least favorite match of Peter Pan. Um, so I was yeah. sort of happy to see him get back to um, the, the type of match he had at the beginning when he first came in, you know, the match with Hiroshima and things like that. So I enjoyed it, you know, a quick, eight minute match or so. So 
it was fun. I had a lot of fun. Then we have Hiroshima and Kazusada Higuchi defeating Soma Takao and Tetsuya Endo when Hiroshima pinned Endo with the modified jackknife pin, 13-17. This was my favorite thing on the show, I think. It went three and three quarters. Really fun tag match, uh, especially the exchange at the end with Hiroshima and Endo, um, which I thought was leading to a singles match. It looks like it was actually leading to something else, which we'll talk about after the main event, but I can't wait to see some more out of the two of them. Yeah, I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, again, I've been on here uh, sort of talking down about Takao, but I thought he was really good in this. I thought all four of them really brought it, and it was a fun, uh, you know, only 13 minutes of sort of a fun sprint for all of them, and, you know, really good. Uh, after here is where we got the big announcement that Kenny Omega is coming back to DET and also back to Japan for the first time since leaving New Japan on November 3rd at the Ultimate Party. He'll be teaming up with Riho uh, to take on the team of Antonio Honda and Miyu Yamashita. Um, I guess a couple ways to break this down. First of all, I'm a little surprised that he's coming at Goku. I kind of thought they were going to try to save you know, Kenny's first appearance back in Japan all the way is like a big draw for Peter Pan next year. But maybe this way, you know, he'll do a tag match here. Maybe he'll do some other kind of big, like, hype match at a, a judgment next year. And then, you know, that'll build up to him and Takashita or, so, or some other, like, really big match at uh, at Peter Pan in Saitama Super Arena next year, you know, assuming he stays that long. Um, but as far as, like, the match itself, obviously it's going to be a comedy match, which... You know, Kenny does enjoy the comedy matches. He had a long feud with Antonio Honda and DAT back in the day, so it's not that surprising they're doing this match. But, uh, you know, I think it's a very interesting... It's an interesting move for him, and I think it probably also signals that he's not coming back to Japan, you know, anytime in the near future. Supposedly, I read something. Takagi said that he asked to come back for this show, so I don't know. I mean, I guess DDT could have said no, but that seems a bit odd for them to him to say, "Hey, I want to come back," and them to go, "No, thanks." Yeah. Um, so it could be down to that. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. You know, it will be interesting to see him back in DDT. Um. And to see, I don't, you said it will be a comedy match. I think that there could be parts of it that, that could, uh, you know, be less comedy with Miyu and Riho and Kenny in there. Um, so it might be less comedy than maybe some people would think at first glance, but, you know, interested to see, you know, it's a pretty different promotion since the last time he was here, so it'll be interesting to see what he does and how they use him going forward. Uh, do you have any any trepidations at all for him in DDT? Do you think he might overshadow, you know, the people on the roster? Um, I mean, I don't. Do you, I mean, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Is a good my best answer right now? I don't, I don't think. I mean, look, the pop when he, they announced him was gigantic. I mean the biggest pop on the entire show. Um, you know, if he's willing to stay there for a while on big shows at least and build up to even like losing Takashita or something, I think it's a huge net win. Uh, I hope this is not like a one-off where he comes in and is like the biggest star on Ultimate Party 
you know, and then goes back to New Japan or something for Japan. But uh, you know, in the in the short term, I think it's a big it's a big win for DET, and I'm sure it's going to help Sumo Hall do a really good number. But um, it's just a very a very interesting move for both sides. Um, and I don't know. Would you agree? That it probably means that no Kenny in New Japan anytime soon. Uh, I would think so. I mean, I don't think there's any reason to think differently just because I now at this point can't really remember the last time uh, New Japan really worked with another promotion with a person of this caliber. I mean, obviously there was, you know, the K-Jojo stuff, which wasn't really working together. It was just taking or or borrowing some guys, I guess it's just, I should say now, but Really, I can't even think of the last time they had. I mean, it probably would have been the Noah stuff, which obviously is now done. Yeah. Um, in terms of using bigger names from other promotions, so I would think he's if he's going to do anything in Japan, it will be with DDT. And I guess to your point, um, I guess the only thing that I would consider a negative, I guess that would be one, is if he does one match with DDT and goes back to New Japan, which seems unlikely. But also, if he were to come back and beat everyone and I don't know, maybe even I guess get the title, but then have to spend a lot of time in AEW or the title somewhere else. But I don't know if that's even on DDT's radar to happen. I think probably what happens is they build up to the Takashita match and then Takashita beats him. Yeah, because Kenny um, did beat him before he left before he left. So it'll be like Takashita getting his one back. So I guess anything can go poorly in wrestling as we found out throughout the years, but you know, you hope for the best, especially with DDT, which has a pretty good track record of, you know, if not making the best decision, they, I feel very rarely make completely wrong decisions. I mean, I guess Erie would be the last one that was sort of unwise, but I don't know if they could have seen that looking into the future that that would have gone so poorly. Yeah. Um, and they got out of it pretty well. Yeah. I mean, they didn't. A lot of other promotions, I think, would have been more stubborn about it than they were. Um, <coughs> the semi-main event: Kanosuke Takashita, Yukio Sakaguchi, Shinshiro Takagi, and Antonio Honda defeating Danshiro Dino, Super Sasadango Machine, Mao, and Santino Morella. And Takashita pinned Sasadango with the cradle in twelve twenty-five. Uh, there's a lot going on here. First of all, Santino came out to his just came out to his WWE theme, which is really funny. DZ does not give a fuck about copyrights, as we've seen before recently with the Avengers theme, among other things. Um, but yeah, so he he was basically in the total comedy mode here, as you would expect. Um, there was like a running joke where no one on Takashita's team would tag him in for some reason. They kept tagging everybody but Takashita. Um, and then we had uh, basically, basically what happened here was like Honda and, um, you know, and... Uh, and Santino got tagged in at the same time, uh, and Honda, of course, tripped over the middle rope and fell right in his ass, and that was the first time Santino came in. So Honda gave Gon the Fox, uh, like, a whole Gon the Fox story, and then, you know, he but he, he introduced it in English because English is very good. And then we got Gon the Fox versus the Cobra, and the announcer just yells, Dream Machi, which I thought was, like, really funny. Um, but then Takashita finally tagged himself in, during the Gone the Fox Rampage, which I thought was a good payoff to that little storyline there. And then everybody kept, like, there was a long stretch where, like, Dino, Dino had his ass out in the corner, of course. 
And everybody kept like, so they would send the guy into the, into Dino's ass. And then right before the guy would turn around and get hit with the Cobra, someone else would dive in yelling that it was dangerous and like, like dive and take the shot for him basically. And he'd also go into Dino's butt and then get to tease the Cobra and then someone else would do it. So they would keep saving all their teammates until finally the Cobra ended up in Dino's butt by accident and that set the Cobra out of control. Um, and then people, I guess, because you restrain a, co- a snake by putting like it, putting it in a bag, everybody started like undressing to try to like get this cobra under control. Like uh, Sasnago took his mask off and tried to put it on there, and everybody started taking their pants off and put it put it on the snake, and none of that worked. And it led to Sasnago taking the cobra by accident from his own teammate and getting pinned by Takashita. So, not a match I'm going to forget anytime soon. It was really something. No, and Santino looks like, I guess I haven't seen him in a while or seen a picture of him. He looks like, I know he's going to be on Bloodsport coming up. He looks like a shooter now with all the tattoos. Did he have that many tattoos in WWE? I didn't think he did. I don't think so, no. Um, And the beard, obviously. I didn't realize he's like 47 years old or something like that. Um, But, yeah, I thought it was. He did the accent and everything, though, which is great. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a fun match. You know, it's fun. I know Santino, I think, was in Japan for some other reason and just asked if he could be on the show. So if this is... The World Junior Tournament. Yeah. World Judo. I think I said Judo. World Judo Tournament. So if this was a one-off, you know, it was a fun way to use him, and I thought it was a fun... uh, Well, it's not a one-off because we we heard at the end of the match. Oh, did they announce something? I guess I missed that. So after the match, Antonio Honda basically said... I, I forget exactly what he said. He was like, my Gon the Fox wants to challenge your Cobra and or wants to eat your Cobra. What do you think about that? And Santino said, my Cobra's way stronger. So, um, you know, Imanari made the, he made that match for the 30th of August, Shinkiba first ring, which is like an extra, uh, a bonus um, beer garden show. So ah. there you go. So he's All here right. for one more week. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I thought it was a fun match. Uh, and then after that, the main event for the DT Extreme title, uh, Ikemen defeating Daisuke Sasaki when Jiro grabbed the title belt in 2149, his first defense. Um, you know, I thought this was good, but I'm not generally a big fan of ladder matches, uh, so I only gave it about three and a half stars. Um, I did really like the finish with Ikemen giving Sasaki the that reverse pile driver like on the table on top of two ladders. That was really nuts. And again, it, the match ended exactly where it should have. He just grabbed the belt for that, which I'm sure the next ladder match I watch is not going to end exactly where it should. Um, but like, this was good. I just am not a huge ladder match fan, so it didn't blow me away. I saw some other people say it was a lot better, though. So I think you're one of them. So go ahead, Taylor. Was the table at the end supposed to break or not supposed to break? I don't know. It didn't break either way, so. It seemed like it was better that it wouldn't break, but you would think doing it on the table that the table would break, but then they would go straight down into the ladders, which seemed incredibly dangerous. Um, But yes, I did like it a little bit more than you. I also am not a huge fan of ladder matches, uh, but I thought it was really good. I gave it four stars. Um, I obviously am a big fan of uh, Jiro. And I thought that he really threw himself out there. I mean, a couple of those splashes he did on the ladders looked very painful. I uh, just thought it was a fun match. You know, I'm looking at the result right now, 21-43. It certainly didn't seem like 
nearly 22 minutes to me. It seemed like a pretty fast match. Didn't overstay its welcome. So uh, I really liked it. Uh, so overall, good show. Uh, not like exactly the best Cork I've ever seen, but I enjoyed it. Then after that, uh, some upcoming DDT dates. As mentioned, August 30th is the Fighting Beer Garden 2019 Extra Edition from Shinkiba. Uh, the Shinkiba Beer Garden One Night Stand, as it's being called. Um, so that's coming up on the 30th, which is next Friday, or this coming Friday. So there you go. Uh, it's going to have a blindfold three-way match with Mad Polly, uh, Masahiro Takanashi, and Kazuki Hirata. There's going to be a ghost story match with Dino, Makoto Oishi, Hiroshi Yamato, and Yukio Naya. And then now we know we're going to have Santino Morella against Antonio Honda. And the main event will be Daisuke Sasaki and Soma Takao against Ikeman and Higuchi, which is a non-title match of the title match that's going to happen two days later. Because two days later is Osaka Octopus from Ideon Arena number two, which is a pretty pretty interesting card. Some really cool stuff here. So the main event is Takashita defending the open weight title against Shinya Aoki. Um, the semi-main has Daisuke Sasaki and Soma Takao against Ikemen and Noguchi for the tag titles. Uh, then we also have Shinshiro Takagi defending the over 40 title against Ken Oka, which might be my most anticipated match of the show. Uh, then we have Shuji Ishikawa making an appearance here to team with Tetsuya Endo against Yuki Ueno and Naomi Oshimura. Uh, then Shuku Dino and Maku Donoto against Akito and Shima Katsumata. The Osaka Octopus Cup Battle Royal, Masataka Nashi, Kazuki Hirata, Mad Pauly, Saki Akai, Asuka, Yuni, and Puma King. Uh, then Hiroshima and Mao against Jun Masuoka and Kohei Kinoshita. No idea who that is. Um, Yukio Sakaguchi, Mizuki Watase, and Yukio Naya against Yasurano, Antonio Honda, and Cody Hall, as we've now learned. It was X for a while. So pretty fun card there. I'm pretty excited. And what do you think of the Osaka Octopus card? Yeah, it should be fun, although next week is like I'm now just trying to think about all this all these shows that, that are happening. I know. You know, in that like four day span, so yeah, what are the overwhelming. Ones, what are the other ones you're thinking of? I mean, obviously, New Japan, AEW. Is there, is there more? I mean, I'm sure there's other ones. I think there's um, there's something else. There's one of the show. Uh, so. But I can't think of it right now. But just, I mean, it's going to be a lot of wrestling, so it should be fun. Um, the Osaka Octopus, by the way, those two guys I mentioned, I didn't know they were. They're Pissar rookies. So there you go. Out, out of myself is not a big bizarre viewer. Tisk tisk. Well, you didn't correct me, buddy. Look, I'm <laughs> gonna let you fall on your own sword here. Okay. okay. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's EDT. Fun times as always. Looking forward to some more fun in the next week. Let's wrap it up here with Stardom. That'll be the last promotion we talk about. The five star Grand Prix got underway last weekend at Shinkiba. Uh, the first two nights. We saw night three happened in uh, earlier today, actually, but there's nothing out from it yet, as far as I know. At least last last time I checked, there last I checked, there wasn't anything up. Uh, we're going to talk about the first two nights, which both took place at Shinkiba First Ring, uh, Pack Shinkiba First Ring. I mean, 415 fans on the first night, and then 345 on night two, which are like, you know, among the, the higher attendances you'll see for that building. Um, so the show opened up with, as far as I didn't watch the non. 
tournament matches. So the first tournament match was in the red block, Azumi defeating Natsu Sumari in 539. Uh, not... I guess not surprising is the wrong word since Natsu is, uh, you know, very much a comedy character, but like a, a big win for Azumi, I think. Um, you know, it was sloppy but fun, which is basically the Natsu special. Uh, what do you think of what do you think of this one, Taylor? I thought it was good. It had high energy to start, which I thought was um, really great. I do have one sort of stardom related point, which isn't necessarily related to these matches but i noticed that they premiered i don't know if they did it recently um because i haven't seen all of july and the beginning of august stuff but they debuted a new intro video for all of their videos it's good so much it's very long i feel like when they first started they had no intro video and then they had an intro video that was about five seconds long and then they had one that was about 15 and this one is now 38 seconds long. Oh, I thought this one was shorter than the last one. I was the last had... one longer? Yeah, I could have sworn they had one that was like almost a minute. Because this one feels very, very long. It feels very, very long. And when you're watching, like I waited until all the matches were up for, for the um, both of these dates to watch. And sitting there going through eight, you know, eight matches. Is it eight matches a night or seven matches a night? You know, you're talking about almost 15 matches where every video starts with this 38 second. Now I learned to skip it, um, but it's just I don't really understand it. After a, you know, I get I'm watching Stardom World because I've you know, in 13 matches in, I know what I'm watching. <laughs> um, so it's just sort of a personal annoyance with me. Um, having nothing to do with the, any of these matches, but I just wanted to bring that up. But yeah, I thought that this uh, first match, high energy to start, you know, the first match of the whole thing uh, got out there um, five minutes and 39 seconds. I've, I really appreciate it after near the end of the G1 sort of burning out on that whole thing. I enjoyed the very quick matches that all of these were, uh, you know, getting in action-packed, I mean, this one only 539, but the longest match of the night was just over 12 minutes. Yeah. Uh, getting in, getting the moves in, getting the action, and then g- getting the finish and getting out of there. So for people who don't uh, know, by the way, the five-star Grand Prix has a 15-minute time limit. So like the 15-minute time limit on these matches. So you'll never get anything going over 15. But as you'll hear when I read these match times, most don't even go 10. Uh, up next, Hana Kimura defeating Tom Nakano in... 641, perhaps most notable because before the match, Hanakamura called Tom Nakano the shitty little trashy panda, which was uh, quite something. But yeah, this was this was awesome. I mean, this was a really fun little match. Um, you know, just obviously didn't go a ton of, get a ton of time, but like it was just very stiff. Um, I, I, this was a match where I noted, like, you know, they back in AEW a couple of shows ago when B previously kicked Britt Baker on that AW pre-show and ended up giving her a concussion, I feel like, you know, a lot of the people I follow on Twitter who don't watch Joshi, like, really freaked the fuck out. And they were like, how could B, B previously do this? It was such a terrible kick. And, da, da, da. and I understand it concussed her. So it was obviously, you know, bad from that. But people need to understand anything can, can concuss you, not just a kick. But, like, if you only watch, like, U.S. wrestling and not – Japanese wrestling, especially not Joshi, 
I feel like you would have no idea that you see kicks that bad, maybe even harder kicks, like five times a fucking night than you do when you, you know, than that one fucking kick. So, and I just, I noted that here because Hanukkah did a kick in this match, like in, right in the face that was like so hard. It was like not even a minute in the match. So, you know, definitely a lot of hard kicks in Joshi. Yes, but we'll all remember years from now, shitty little trash panda. <laughs> uh, Saki Kashima defeating Mayu Iwatani in 426. Um, there was a <laughs> Mayu, like, at the start of the match, she offered a handshake to her star's partner and then immediately tried to roll her up because Mayu is, seri- is like, secretly the biggest heel in the company. Um, and, you know, she did, like, that kneeling German, which is, like, you know, she, like, drops to her knees, which is, like, such a cool fucking move. Um, and then she got rolled up by Saki for the second year in a row. But, yeah, this is like, as good of a four-and-a-half-minute match as you're ever going to see. This is really fun. Yeah, and like them setting up – I mean, they set up the whole story of the match in the pre-match interviews about, you know, talking about having rolled her up last year, um, which I thought was really great. So you can drop into this match even if you've never really watched Stardom before. And from just from the pre-match um, – promos and interviews understand the story and really um you know get invested so i thought that was really cool uh and after the match i noted that like mayu kept trying to flip off saki and starlight kick kept trying to get between them and block block saki from seeing the, her flipping her off which is like wow what a dysfunctional family's poor stars is uh after that we had jamie Hayter defeating arisa hoshiki the uh, wonder of stardom champion the white belt champion in 714 um jamie hater has learned exactly three japanese words and she was going to get the most out of all of them in this match because just kept yelling them all during throughout the entire match um as far as like in general i just think jamie jamie hater fits him really really well here that's something i noted earlier in the year too or like sometimes there's like there's some non-japanese people who were just like born to be foreign gaijin wrestlers in Japanese wrestling. And I definitely think she's like high on that list. So, you know, and she, she lays everything in so hard too, which like, you know, I, I remember when we, we saw her at that stardom show for over mania weekend, it's actually even, if anything, it looks even harder in person than it did, you know, uh, than it does on tape. So, you know, someone who looks that snug, even, even when you're there because she's just laying it in is going to obviously fit in very well in Joshi. So, but yeah, this is good. I enjoyed, there's like a, like the springboard, the leg kick by Arisa. That was so fucking sick. Yeah, that's a great move. And, um, Arisa's first, uh, singles loss since she returned, uh, which, uh, it wouldn't be her first and only for long, but that a big moment for Jamie, who I think, uh, stardom really likes and i think she's been really i think she's been really great since she started so yeah uh next match is b Priestley beating Andre miyagi in 547 uh so i looked down at my phone for like half a second between matches and you know they do these pre-match interviews and all of a sudden <laughs> miyagi just yells like five star, like at the top of her lungs. And that's your, that's her entire promo. And she yelled this so fucking loud. I almost pissed myself. So I'm just being hockey really with the, really with the scream in there. Um, this is actually, again, really good while it lasted. And another one of these matches I would love to see get like 15 minutes sometime, but another really fun match. 
Yeah, I think a lot of these matches are, you know, there's so many and we're kind of whipping through them, but you could probably say the same for a lot of them, which they're quick matches, but they're good. They get in and they do their stuff and they're, you know, very good. They leave you wanting more, which, you know, you say, oh, I want more, but sometimes it's good to say, oh, I wish I could see more because then when inevitably this match happens again down the road, you know, they can go 15 minutes or however long. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Utami defeating Jungle Kiona in 927. Uh, you know, this was like, I, I thought this was like not quite the level of their previous two matches, but still, you know, a, a good like three and a half star match. And I like that Utami just like fucking flat out beat her with the torture rack bomb after, you know, the, the past draws. It felt very definitive. But, you know, good, very solid match, very strong match. And like we've already seen them have better matches. So maybe that's why. I wasn't quite as high on it as I expected to be, but uh, it was still, you know, two two big gals running into each other, which is always going to be fun. I thought it was really good. I went four stars. It was probably um, the sec- my second favorite match of the night. Um, yeah, I just thought it was really good. I mean, I love Jungle, so she's probably my favorite stardom wrestler, so I might be slightly biased, although um, I get to see her lose as always, which is sad. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, thought it was good. Uh, Hazuki defeating Momo Watanabe in the semifinal in 854. Uh, she got the pin with that flash pen. Um, you know, this was like a, a match where these two have a lot of history. They both used to be, you know, they came up together as young lions and they were in, uh, you know, Queen's Quest, the original Queen's Quest together. Um, but yeah, this was like really hard hitting. And just when it looked like Momo was going to finish murdering Hazuki, she pulls the flash pen out of her ass for the pen, which I thought was just a great finish. Um, and then Momo like really went after her afterwards too, which is like very intense. Which I love when we get that like intense side of Momo, where she's not like, you know, you know, she can be like a smiley, happy baby face, but like, you know, she still also wants to murder people. But yeah, good match, really good match, and just below being like a four star match for me. This was my match of the night. Uh, my favorite 2019 stardom storyline is Momo going into tournaments overconfident and then losing, uh, which happened in the Cinderella tournament where I think she, I don't remember exactly what she said in her promo to start, but she said, oh, you know, I'm the champion. And so I'm going to win this easily. And then she lost in the first round. Um, so she loses here. Yeah. I thought it was really great. Hazuki is, um, Hazuki is probably, you know, the the high-speed title uh, is sort of a strange concept now in stardom because it's, you know, a different rule set that stardom did away with when the whole uh, Yoshiko controversy happened. So now it's just sort of like wrestlers who are fast, but sometimes it's, you know, wrestlers hold that title who are not necessarily fast. Um, But I think Hazuki, if they brought back the old rules of, you know, hitting two ropes and the pin um, fall being counted very quickly, I think she would also succeed in that. So I think she's a great representative there, and I think she's a great wrestler. And the main event, Konami defeating Kagetsu in 12-16. So Kagetsu's a weird one for me where she doesn't always land with me, and I feel like her heel brawling almost never lands with me. But, like, when she does, like, the mat work stuff, she's really fucking good at it. And it makes me wish she would do it a lot more. And this was, you know, almost all mat work. So this was really awesome. 
Uh, I went four stars on it. This was my match of the night, and I thought this was a, a really great match. Yeah, I thought she was really – I thought Kagetsu was really good here. I agree with you uh, because the ne- when we talked the next night, I had a few um, issues with that, but I thought it was a great main event. You know, it got the most time, 12 minutes. Uh, so, yeah, not much more to add than that. So very good opening night of five-star. Nothing – they would even call close to bad and you know a lot of a lot of really fun matches and then a great main event so the second night of the five star which was august 18th again at shankiba in front of 345 fans opened up with momo watanabe defeating avery which is her first uh five star grand prix match um what do you think of this one did you, did you like avery i thought she i thought she was like uh she looked impressive but i mean it's it's momo watanabe so you know, you can't really like, you can't really like uh, say that's definitely means it's going to be she's going to be great or anything. But you know, it was only a four minute and twenty two second match too. But I thought it was fun while it lasted. Yeah, I'd like to see a little bit. I'm we will see it, but a uh, little bit longer match from her. It seemed to me sort of like a, or felt to me, sort of like an extended squash to get Momo back on track. Um, you know, Avery has the sort of usual American first time in a Japanese company syndrome where in her promo, she was like, you know, you, you're the baddest bit, you know, they, they're like, Oh, now I'm in Japan. So I can swear in all my promos and no one will really care. So she's saying, Oh, you're the baddest bitch, but it's me. I'm, I'm the real bad bitch around here. And I was like, okay, that's what this is. But you know, she has a sort of cool look and, well, I'm reserving judgment until I see more of a sort of back and forth uh, match from her. Uh, then after that, we have the Hana Kimura against Natsu Sumari match. Um, this moved Hana to two and zero and dropped Natsu to zero and two, with Hana winning in seven thirty one. Um, this was a cool match because it had like the story of ha- of Natsu like trying to like hang in there and prove she wasn't just a comedy wrestler. And the crowd got very angry at Hana when she like spit in her face, which I thought was interesting. But yeah, this was another good match while it lasted. I mean, we're, we're broken records covering this. Cause it's all I know, like, seriously. It's just like all short, good matches. And I was going to say, I don't have much to add. So <laughs> um, then we have Jamie Hayter going to two and O and dropping Miyagi to O and two. She beat her in five forty five. Um, they were like, there was a spot where like they kept they they end up in the guard of all things, and like Jimmy kept trying to like grab uh, Miyagi's like weird like hair, I don't know like her fucking hair spike like in the front of her hair, and that was kind of fun. But yeah, I thought this was really good for again under six minute match, <laughs> a total bomb fest. They just kept trading lariats, and then there's like this really sick tombstone reversal spot for the pen, um, but yeah. You know, yeah, it was really, really fun what lasted. Yeah, I don't know what the, you know, it's only two matches in, and I don't know what people were feeling, but, you know, it's maybe possible that Jamie Hayter, you know, I, I guess could win the whole thing. I mean, she's been pushed before. She is very talented. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, we're still very early on, so the, the patterns are still developing, but. I uh, again, I agree with you. A good, quick match. Uh, the net third match. Finally, I can say something other than good match because I actually didn't love this one. 
Um, this was Kagetsu defeating Natsuko. Uh, wait, is that the next match? Yes, it is. Kagetsu defeating Natsuko Tora in 8.48. So Kagetsu goes to 1-1, one and, one, and this was Tora's first match. Um, you know, it didn't throw me. I just thought it was a lot of the stuff we just talked about with Kagetsu where, you know, her heel brawling stuff isn't really that interesting to me. Um, I mean, it wasn't like it was bad or anything, but it just was like, just okay. I was very confused at the end when she had, it looked like she had Tora beat and then pulled her up during the three count because it felt very much like something she would not do, especially in a tournament where you're trying to, I mean, this isn't some random singles match you're having where if you lose, you lose. I mean, she pulled, she pulled her up or, you know, it was one, two. It seemed clear that she was going to lose. She pulled her up. And that to me just didn't make sense in general, but also for the character, it seemed like something that Kagetsu would not do. Uh, so that was a bit weird. And then at the end, I don't know if you saw the promo where Kagetsu said to uh, Tor, she was like, oh, uh, the winning isn't everything. But of course, I say that because I just won the match, <laughs> which I also sort of found weird in when you're talking about you're in a tournament and it's the person who wins the most matches that gets the opportunity so winning in this tournament is everything. It just was a very strange, the whole sort of end of the match and the promo very much threw me for a loop. Uh, then Mayu Iwatani beating Azumi in 504. So Mayu became, went to one and one and Azumi dropped to one and one. Um, this I thought was a lot, you know, again, back to a very good match. Uh, only won five minutes, but I thought the all the flash pin stuff was really fun and especially how it led into the finish. But, uh, yeah, it was a really fun match. Agreed. <laughs> then we had, did you see these next two matches? Because these two before the main event were not up yet when I um, when I was watching. I, I forgot. I, I yeah, you know the funny thing is also there's I watched them all in the span of about um, three hours or so. So I believe I did see them, but I you know I hate to now I'll sound like the broken record. I think that they were both fairly you know. Good short matches, really. Yeah, so Tom yeah. Nakano beat Hazuki in 548, uh, made her one-on-one, and made Hazuki also one-on-one. And then B Priestley beat Konami in 729 to go to 2-0 and and drop Konami to one-on-one. Um, I didn't see them. Do you have anything to add about them? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. The so main event, uh, Utami Yashishita defeating Aris- Arisa Hoshiki in 1152. Uh, so Tani goes to 2-0, and Arisa, the white belt champion, goes to 0-2. Um, this was fucking awesome. Um, this is my favorite match of the entire two nights. I mean, it just felt like an epic struggle all the way to the end. Um, you know, by the time Utami was, like, throwing her around with these fucking headlock takedowns that always looked great, and then hitting the torture rack bomb, it just felt like she had, like, earned that victory and really just put away somebody who, you know, was a champion of the promotion. And it, it had that quality to it too, where like, like Utami matches, you know, when they're, especially when they're really good, they feel like they're fights, you know, like they feel like they're struggles and like, you know, not in a way that not every, not everyone's matches always feel like that. And, you know, this is definitely another one of those. It just felt like, you know, both of them were really struggling against each other. Um, and I, I, I thought this was awesome. I'm Four and a quarter on it. My favorite match from either night. And, you know, if we're going to get a wipeout match next, I can't wait. Yeah, I thought it was really great 
too. I mean, I think that they, I think that they're a good fit for each other. I mean, I think uh, Arisa really sold, um, like you mentioned, those headlock takeovers, and then that um, torture rack bomb at the end. I mean, she, Utami really threw her down on that. looked uh, looked pretty wild. Uh, so I thought it was a very strong match. I think probably I don't know if it's my favorite match of either day, but definitely my favorite match of um, the 18th for sure. Uh, so then let's go ahead and talk about the questions because that's what we got. We have a whole bunch of them actually. So first, well, not a ton, but a bunch. First of all, from Stuart Iverson uh, at Iverson 83. How do you rate Priestley's title reign so far? Why don't you go first on this one, Taylor? What do you think? Um, I think the matches have been fairly good, but it seems like the crowd doesn't really care much about her. I think the promotion is is more behind her than the fans are, and I just wonder if there's... You know, I think she had a reputation when she came in that she was terrible, and I think she was, you know, at least below average and she's improved quite a lot but i just don't think that the fans really have much of a rooting interest in her compared to some other people who maybe they like more who don't get um as many opportunities so it's interesting to see if they really as you mentioned before john there are some wrestling promotions that can be quite stubborn with things like this and it'll be interesting to see if they um keep trying to get her um, over with the fans. I mean, it's certainly possible at this point, she's already got four points that she might win the five star. I mean, she's got the belt, so, you know, maybe not, but you don't know. So I just think it's a disconnect between what the promotion's trying to do and how the fans are reacting. I agree. And I would also add that like the, the red belt, has been on very shaky ground ever since Mayu had that weird title change to Tony Storm where she got injured. And it felt like ever since then, you know, I mean, th- these two belts kind of have fluctuated over the years as far as which is definitely more important, but it's supposed to be the red belt. I mean, that's why it's called the World of Star- World of Stardom title. But, like, it's felt less important on the white belt since Mayu lost it. Um, and I think part of that is on purpose to a degree. Like, clearly that Io Shirai reign was supposed to be a big deal. The Momo reign was a big deal. Uh, Oshiki's reign now, I think, is supposed to be a big deal as well. But it felt like the red belt has been a little bit lost in there, where, like, you know, you do the, you know, the Kagetsu reign never really clicked to me. Um, you know, the fans, and I think, voted. Didn't the fans vote a white belt title match over Kagetsu and Hana for the main event at, like, a show? Uh, can... Yeah, I th- that sounds familiar, but I don't... Yeah, I would have to look back and see. And, like, it just felt like, you know, it just didn't... The red belts felt not as important since ever since that title change. So I would like to see like a, you know, the belt go back on like the legitimate Japanese ace and like let them have a run for a while. Whether, whether that means Momo, uh, whether you even want to say, see have Mayu have it for a while, just anything at this point to try something and get like a real strong reign going where it feels like B having it, you know, not that I think she's been bad, you know, I definitely think she's been pretty good, actually, in most of her matches. But it's clear that the crowd, like you're saying, doesn't really care. And the belt feels like it's at its weakest point, which really isn't her fault. Because I feel like it, it felt weak even when Tony and Kagetsu had it. But, like, 
you know, feels like it's been at its weakest point for a while and I think needs to be rebuilt a little bit. Um, at Ice Age Coming SA, could you please give the definitive wrestling omakase ranking of the members of the best faction in pro wrestling today, the Up Up Girls? Um, so I will give you my ranking first. I have um, Miyu Watanabe number one, Hikari Noah number two, Raku number three. And that would be my exact ranking, so... Well, Everyone is what? in agreement. It's a it's a settled law now. <laughs> um, let's see. At V-E-L-K-E-G underscore Braca. Uh, is Tokyo Joshi out of the slump they got in because of all the people leaving? Are you looking forward to their shows, even if Yamashita is no longer champion on a scale of 1 to 10? Have you gotten on board with Chilko as the champion, or does, it still feel, does he still feel like too much of a downgrade? I think this was the question you were alluding to earlier so why don't you go first taylor it was so the thing about tokyo joshi for me is i like it but i think that they have a very low ceiling when it comes to the actual in-ring work um as i mentioned before the korokin we just reviewed i thought it was very strong and i think that that sort of show where they have probably two or three matches that you know, get close to three and three-fourths or maybe one gets to four is probably their peak, which in the world of uh, the world that we live in now where there's so much wrestling, especially so much Joshi wrestling going on, to me personally, and I know there are probably some people who will disagree with me. uh, For example, I'm sure John might disagree with me that to me that isn't enough because when I watch wrestling – as much as the characters are, you know, in Tokyo Joshi, they have so many great, strong characters. I want to see really great wrestling action. And I think that there are a high number of Joshi promotions currently that I could probably depend on, on a regular basis to give, um, to put out better in-ring work than Tokyo Joshi um, does. And I think when Miyu was the champion, this was another part of the question. When Miyu was a champion, I think Miyu is probably, um, I'm sure an argument could be made, but Miyu is the best wrestler in the company. And I think when you had her as champ, that was one match where if she had a title match in the main event, that was a guarantee of this match is going to be really good. Now that it's Shoko... I think Shoko's good, but I don't think that guarantee is there. And so I think that has to come from somewhere else. And the question is, where does that really great match come from? Now, it was also coming from the tag title matches. You know, the Magical Sugar Rabbits were having those matches. And they lost the titles uh, to to Bushiki Goon, which, as I mentioned, uh, great characters, but I'm less... You know, they're less dependable in terms of going, we're going to have a match and it's going to be in the main event and it's going to be a great match. Um, So I think that's really the struggle that I have currently in terms of, I feel like Tokyo Joshi has grown a ton in the last two years um, in terms of visibility and in terms of talent in ring wise. And I think that now uh, they really have to look and be able to take the next step. You know, they're developing a lot of these rookies, as we talked about. But the question is, are are these rookies just card fillers? Or are they 
you know, people who can be used and depended on in the future for more than just, oh, well, we've got someone who can fill a spot. Um, so I guess it's an unsure future for me. It certainly could turn around or, you know, a few of these, you know, Miyu Watanabe could, you know, is certainly on the way there, someone who's very young, but also very talented. Um, but so in terms of one to 10, I guess, excitement, I would probably say I'm at a, uh, a six in that I see a lot of positive signs, but I also see a lot of worrying signs in terms of, you know, Riho is with stardom. Is she going away? Uh, you know, she's one of the, the better members of this roster. If they lose her, if something were to happen to someone else, you know, someone gets injured, if Miyu uh, Yamashita gets injured, you know, who is the next person who steps up in terms of delivering quality matches? So, see, I'm a little, I'm going to disagree with you on a little bit here. I think they are out of their little mini slump they were in, and I really like all of their younger wrestlers. So, you know, I think already, um, Miyu Watanabe and Hikari Noah are already pretty damn good and can probably even only get better from here. Um, so I would, I would say like, as far as like how excited I am for Corican, I'm like a nine usually. Like I, I love their Corican's. They're never anything but really good shows. Um, you know, even though, like you said, they don't always have like the blow away matches. Maybe you see other places like stardom. I think up and down the card, they're like some of my favorite shows to watch in any kind of wrestling, as far as an entire card being entertaining. Um, for non corkins maybe I am like a six or a seven, but you know they're, they're, those shows are still usually pretty good. So, um, have I gotten on board with Shoko as champion? She does still feel like a little bit of a downgrade to me, but uh, you know, I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't dislike her. I just think, I mean, it's, it's a little bit hard to get excited for the, the next champion after a champion who is that good. Uh, Chad Campbell says, "Who will defect first from Mochizuki Dojo?" Again, I feel like you would probably be better to answer this for me since you paid more attention. I would have guessed Hiyo Watanabe if I was going to go. I mean, Watanabe, but Okuda would probably be the... I mean, that seems like the obvious answer, as I talked about before. It seems like he would probably join up with whatever Ben K is doing, although he just joined and it's felt it felt very much like a sort of marriage of convenience in terms of they asked him and he was like, sure, and he can leave at any time, but... It would probably be Okuda or Watanabe. I think one issue with a lot of those guys is that, you know, when we think about the younger guys that have broken out in Dragon Gate, you talk about Ben K or Shun Skywalker. You, they really are young, but they have very defined characteristics about them. Uh, you think of Ben K being this sort of bruiser, and of course, he when he was in Red, he was sort of this silent uh, killer. And Shun Skywalker, of course, is this daredevil, high-flying guy. And when I think of people, uh, when I think of Kota Minoru or Yuki Yoshioka, I just don't know exactly who they are as wrestlers. Uh, they just feel sort of like young wrestlers to me without very much behind them. And so I think before they go anywhere, and I think this is sort of the case with Watanabe, although he's starting to break out a little bit, is I would like to see more who these people are and have some attachment to them before they move on. And Okuda obviously 
has that already as a brash. He's sort of a cocky, um, you know, he has the MMA background. So he has a lot of defining characteristics already, which makes it seem like he's most likely to leave. Uh, so that would be my answer. Uh, okay. So I'm just going <laughs> to uh, at the JML. If Yamato left, if Yamato left DG, would people view him the same as they do now? I see mostly English-speaking DG fans saying that he is boring. It reminds me of the reaction T Hawk before he left, and to a certain extent Shingo before he left. See, I can see the T Hawk comparison. I don't remember a lot of people saying Shingo was boring. Like that one, people didn't like Shingo for like other reasons. Like you know, right. I don't know. People blamed him about the monkey scandal and all that other bullshit. But I can't remember many people saying he was boring like that. I mean, Jay didn't like him. And, you know, the guy used to run the Dragon Gate website. And they used to say, like, he wasn't always appreciated by the Japanese fans, which I think is kind of true. And Jay has talked about this before. Like, when I talked to him, you know, I, know, I think he might have mentioned this in Open the Voice Gate before, but, like, you know, to the Dragon Gate fan base, to these women there especially, he came off as, like, people's stern dad, you know? <laughs> so they didn't, they didn't like him. But that's not the same thing as saying he's boring. I mean, I don't think... Anybody ever said he was like a boring in-ring worker. But T-Hawk's a better comparison, I guess. And I, I always thought the T-Hawk stuff was a little... I mean, I always like T-Hawk more than a lot of Dragon Gate fans. But, um, well, so but wait, hold on, let me just say real quick. Okay. About Yamato himself, I do think Yamato is boring, especially in the long main event style. And if he left, you know, maybe, maybe if he was doing mostly like 15-minute junior matches in New Japan he would be a lot more exciting and people would be a lot more into him. I just think these 28 minute long epics are pretty dull. So. Yeah. I guess the one difference is that T Hawk was boring at a time when he needed to break out to, you know, he was sort of a quote unquote prospect or young wrestler. And Yamato is clearly not that um, he's very established. And he seems, I mean, to the American, the American fans, yes, talk a lot about how his reign was boring, but I think there is some appreciation of him in Japan um, from the fans there. So it feels slightly different. I guess I can see the comparison to these sort of big matches being boring, but I think there's a little bit of difference. And I'm not sure that if Yamato left that he would take the same path as T-Hawk, who has obviously exploded and become one of the top guys in the world at this point. So I can see the comparisons, but, but I think there's some some differences. Um, then the next question here uh, at the Koji fan: Does Strong Machine J have a main event have main event potential, or is the gimmick something that could harm his future in DG? And it's a great question. Um, I don't know how that's going to work in in Dragon Gate. It doesn't really feel like a Dragon Gate gimmick to me. And so far, the fans are not into this, as far as I can tell. So if that's the only gimmick he's going to have long term, I don't, I don't know if it, it could harm his uh, his future. I mean, I think they might need to do something else with him if he's going to be long term in Dragon Gate. Well, and also he's never he wrestles in this in these trios matches. I don't know that he's even had a singles match at all anywhere. So. I don't know if the plan is to get him comfortable with this and then, you know, when he, when he, when they want to push him up the card or they want to make him a singles or a tag that they change what they're doing with him. But currently as 
situated now i mean obviously as you mentioned the fans aren't all that into it so the answer is probably no he's probably not a main eventer at this point uh, but i don't know obviously dragon gate thinks very highly of him um, as a young guy who's now a champion um, but i don't know if they have plans in the future to do something else with him or if they have some big change happening down the road but as currently situated no i think he's where he is. Uh, and finally, at Joshi is lit. <laughs> great, great handle. Is Kiona the Ishii of stardom? Taylor, this seems like it should be all yours. <laughs> so I would say um, she probably, I'm just trying to go through the roster and think. She probably is in terms of stardom. I mean, obviously, it's a very different situation where. I think you look at two people who are not at the top of their company, but Ishii's in his 40s. So you look at him and there's a little bit of understanding that, you know, he's a little bit older and time has, pro even though he's having obviously these incredible matches, that time maybe has passed him by at this point. And he does continuously get these title shots. You know, he's been five-time never champion. So it isn't like he's... Um, drifting along nowhere. Um, so I think it's a little different. I don't think there's any other Ishii comparisons in stardom, so I think it would be probably um, Jungle. Uh, but I think if you wind it out to all of Joshi, she would probably not be the Ishii of stardom. That would probably be Arisa Nakajima because I think they have very similar paths where well, they have both very similar attitudes of sort of devil-may-care fighting style, but also where it seems that um, Arisa is sort of in the position she's in, and she's very comfortable there like Ishii is. Um, so I think so, but obviously their situations are very different. I think Jungle is more wronged in the situation, if we're going to talk about it that way, than Ishii is. All right, so we can wrap things up there. Taylor, as always, thank you for coming on. Do you want to plug your Twitter? Thank you for having me. My Twitter is Taymambo, T-A-M-A-I-M-B-O. Follow me there. You can always catch me uh, writing um, for Voices of Wrestling, and I look forward to uh, my next visit to Wrestling Omakase. Yes, I'm sure you will be back very soon. Um, so next week we'll be back in the land of New Japan. Uh, we're going to talk about Royal Quest, which is airing live uh, from London. Uh, we're also going to talk about the AEW All Out show, which of course had the big news that Kenny versus Moxley is not happening, but we are getting Kenny versus Pac, which is also a very interesting match. So I'm going to have my buddy on Quinlan, uh, my buddy Quinlan on. <laughs> my buddy on Quinlan. No, I'm going to have my buddy Quinlan on the show to talk all about those two shows, Royal Quest and um, <laughs> I can't, my terrible wordplay there, I can't stop laughing. Uh, Royal Quest and All Out, that'll be the subject of next week's Omakase. Until then, you can follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase, Wrestling Would Not Fit, and folks, we will see you next time. Thank you as always for coming on. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>